the crazy thing about it is that it really does fit in with current situation. Totally does. Actually, wait, I, I didn't even think about that. And the, now <laughs> that you're triggering, triggering that in oh. me, I was like, oh, yeah, it does. Like we're going to come at this from different angles then, mm. I believe. Okay, well, I shall welcome the listeners to Book to Screen Club, where we ask the all-important question of, is the book better? Cough, cough. Usually it is. But <laughs> in the special series that I'm doing with my amazing correspondent, Lord O'Farrell, uh, in our Book to Studio Ghibli series, this may be the one time this series where the film can kind of sometimes be better than the yeah. book. So, oh, an opinion the- already. I mean, exception, I, I find they're sort of the exception to the rule about the book yeah. is usually better. Yeah, the book is usually better. But yeah, it is Studio Ghibli, so we are now like, they're the best. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're totally biased. Yeah, and I think also because with all of the, well, not all of them, but with most of them, we saw the films when we were kids and it's the sort of nostalgia yeah. of it all makes us look very, as you said, biased, I think. True, true. Although in the case of this one, I read the book first. So Same here. I, yeah. Oh, and yeah, with a few of the others, actually. Yeah, true. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so Lauren, you're going you're gonna to start it off and you're going to talk about the books. Yeah, so, okay, so we are, we're doing The Borrowers and Arietti. Yes, time. so it's um, called the, the film, it's Arietti. So the, the film is, Ari- well, the film's got like a, a bunch of names. I know. <laughs> it's, I just, I, I didn't even know what to type, I mean, I typed in Arietti, obviously. Yeah. And that is what it's called on Netflix. But, um, yeah. I mean, the book is just The Borrowers. Like, yeah. That's it. But, um, the, yeah, the film's. Arietti and then the secret world of Arietti, I think, as well. And there was there was another title that I found before that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> they, they weren't entirely sure what to call it, but um yeah. it, I mean it's essentially the story of the borrowers for the book The Borrowers. So yeah, it's called Arietti anyway. So uh the borrowers So I read the book as a kid. Did you read the book as a kid yeah, or okay, yeah, yeah. But I, I tell you what, it was a really long time ago. I think it like I was school age. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, yeah, nine or ten. So this was a, a revisit of yeah. just like, oh, I don't remember that. Oh, I do remember mm-hmm. this. Yes. Um, I and- I remember the the wine bottle thing. I was yeah. like, <laughs> why do I remember this? It's so weird. But I think because I I loved Bednam and Broomsticks as well, which is the other. So so okay. So um, the bar was was published in 1952. So it's an it's an old book. It's proper classic. Things scenes and things and um, written by Mary Norton uh, and it was a it was a huge bestseller um so I, I basically I found a thing online that said that in 2000 I think it, in 2010 this is so it, it could be more mm-hmm. now I mean it must be more now um it sold over 1,100,000 copies pretty so, good no Dan Brown but <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of kids books um, in the list that I found, it was number 349 of, like, the top 500, I think. Okay, um, impressive, yeah. And you're looking at, like, uh, I don't know, the top one on that list, actually, just out of interest, was called Pokey Little Puppy. Um, oh, I know I- that one. I had that as a kid, yeah. I'm going to have to track it down. Uh, I think it's an American. It's, like, an illustrated picture uh, book okay. about so that, a little um, puppy. 
that sold 14 million so that i mean that is a lot more and then you've got peter rabbit was after that which was 9 million harry yeah. potter was only 7 million that was i'm kind of surprised that uh Hayao miyazaki never did beatrice potter yeah i mean there's time isn't there <laughs> no there isn't what are you talking about <laughs> okay so um the borrowers has never been out of print in all of this time which is pretty impressive yeah. for a book um and in 1952 when it was published it won the carnegie medal for children's literature mm -hmm. um and on their 70 70th anniversary um it was it was in their top 10 of medal winners so it's pretty heavy hitter so yeah. obviously people love it to death and uh obviously it's written by mary norton who after this or before this before this before she wrote the boroughs she wrote the bed knobs and broomsticks um books which i think that was two books so essentially like she and these are all she's written so she just yeah. did bed knobs and broomsticks and then she did the boroughs um and then she was like yeah i'm done now and <laughs> <laughs> i'm too successful for my own good i'm gonna I stop. know why why rock the boat you know just let them know, do their thing i love i found it like a little quote that she said she said um i'm a fits and starts writer um i just love living unless some wonderful idea suddenly appears so she who does that sound like she sounds like you <laughs> <laughs> this That's is my... you this is and by the way she was you know quite a bit older when she started publishing she books she was she was we're finding a bit of a theme with this aren't we because these mature you know, authors well yeah there you go okay so basically the story of the borrowers is uh like this it's low fantasy <laughs> it makes it sound like it's a bit crap <laughs> So, well, it's more like folklore and myth type of. So, so yeah, so the term low fantasy basically means um, magical events that happen in a normal world. So actually, okay. you look at a lot of like Kiki's delivery service definitely ticks that box. Um, okay. As does Hell's Moving Castle as well. Mm -hmm. So actually, a lot of the Ghibli films are low fantasy, normal world where, yeah. you know, like something magical kind of strange happens but you're still you've still got all your normal boring people doing the ironing and <laughs> making pies and <laughs> all that kind of stuff and drinking a lot of tea yeah exactly and always drinking a lot of tea and um so the boroughs is set in the uk as well the book is set in the uk yeah. um where mary norton kind of grew up is it laden uh, buzzard yeah exactly and um apparently you can go and see the house where she set it which is i'm um, that's on my list now. Oh, what? Land outside it. As I don't know yeah. British geography very well, do you know where that is in relation to us? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue. Should have looked like, at a map. My geography is British as well, and I'm I am British, so I'm. I feel shame. Okay, I'm doing a quick Google. So it's in Bedfordshire. Okay. Okay, but not far from like Milton Keynes and all that. Okay, that's actually not too crazy no, far not too far yeah so oh my god i'm sorry i'm just looking at the pictures of the town it is so freaking cute yeah, it is i like i i had a look at the picture of the house and it is yeah i mean it's really the book feels very british countryside okay definitely yeah. and um i you know you look at the house and you're like yeah exactly Ew. 
It's about like 20 minutes away from Luden. Okay. Luden Airport. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right order, I think. I know. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the borrowers are, so it's basically based around a family of three who are tiny people, uh, specifically 13 inches high. I don't know how I know that. I don't know if that was in the book or it was some research I did. How tall is a borrower? 13 inches. It might I feel actually... like I feel like maybe at the end they talk about the physical description of the yeah. borrowers because they yeah. say like the hands and feet are bigger than a normal human's yeah. proportions. Yeah, and actually, I think um, in terms of like stuff that they use, you can kind of get an idea of yeah, like the proportions how they are exactly. So uh, yeah, so tiny, teeny, tiny family um, who are living in the world of human beings. <laughs> I love that. Uh. I'm calling everyone human beings from now on. Um, I'm pretty sure when they call them that in the BFG as well. Beans? Yeah, oh, I don't know beans. actually. Ah, uh, maybe. Um, yeah. Anyway, they borrow borrow items from the human world. Um, mm -hmm. I'm doing bunny ears, which you won't be able to see on a podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I don't see them giving anything back at any point. So I I'm not sure. Their, their borrowing is quite borrowing but um, it's meant to be stuff that they won't miss borrowing yeah, exactly so yeah it's it's like stuff like sugar and like a, a you know tiny bit of sugar or a tiny bit of salt or like something a button that has been dropped or something so it's yeah. not like they're not stealing jewels or anything borrowing jewels sorry <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, it, and it's around this little family, um, Arietti, who's the daughter of Pod and Homily. Um, and they are the clock family because they live under the clock, which is just lovely. Like already, I have to say, this is the coziest book in the whole world. Yeah. Like it's just, it just makes you like, you just want to be in blankets and listening to this as a story. It is I'm pretty sure that's how I read it, wrapped yeah. up in a blanket. Cozy as hell with a cup of tea. So the 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 idea is that they live in this house of human beings, uh, and they they borrow from them. But the, the so in the book, the story is told by Kate, who is sewing with her aunt, who's called Mrs. May, um, and Mrs. May. Oh, there's so like there's so many layers to this. Yeah. May is talking about the story that her bro her younger brother told her um, um, about the time he made friends with the borrower. So you're so Kate's telling the story, but the story's coming from Mrs. May, and Mrs. May's story is coming from her brother. Already, it's a little bit confusing. Yes, <laughs> and at the start, it also says, which just completely threw me. She says like uh, something like. She's, she's telling it to Kate, but she's not. She says, uh, it was Mrs. May who first told me about them. Who, who first told me about them? No, not me. How could it have been me? A wild, untidy, self-willed little girl who stared with angry eyes and was said to crunch her teeth. Kate, she, she must be called. Yes, that was it, Kate. So it's like, even she's even removing herself from it as well. Yeah. So she's she's basically saying, yeah, it it you know it wasn't really told to me, but it was. They already start off like, how many narrators do we have here? Yeah, and how trustful are these narrators? Exactly. And then, 
underneath that layer, you also find out that you're hearing a lot of stuff that's from Arietti's diary. Mm-hmm. So another layer. So Arietti's, Arietti's voice being told by the little brother, being told by Mrs. May, being told by Kate. A lot. Everyone's borrowing a story from everyone else, basically. Oh, yes, they are. Very good. Me making connections. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we have Arietti, who is, she's never been out of her little place. So they live under the floorboards of this house by the clock, um, and she's never been outside. She's never been out of her little world. So it's quite, uh, I say cosy, but also quite claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. in that she's almost kind of imprisoned because her her parents don't want her outside under the feet of all these humans and um, the only person who goes out is pod who's the dad who goes out borrowing with his little borrowing bag and um and the mum stays in all the time as well so they're trapped in this little world um they've never met uh well arietti's never met another borrower apart from her parents so I thought, hadn't she met her uncle and I don't know if she has or if she's just heard of them because okay, she her cousins kind of relays a memory she always just talks about them as if you know she knows yeah. of them so and um she is she's quite strong-willed and chatty stubborn happy <laughs> and stubborn yeah compared to her dad who's quite He's very, he's very affectionate, but he's also very calm and practical. And I mean, he's not, he's, he's, he talks, he does. Yeah. <laughs> Talking in the film, but he talks in the book. And, and the mum who is kind of a little bit snooty about the fact that they are, she, there's this whole feeling that the borrowers are the highest of the, like they're much higher than humans, despite that size difference. She's quite proud of being a borrower and the way that they live. So she, yeah. she talks, even talks about other borrowers. She's like, well, they didn't live, you know, like they were a, a bit too grabby or they were t- a bit too proud of where they, you know, what they had in their house. Mm-hmm. And she talks about parquet floors <laughs> at a certain point. And uh, it's weird because she's being snooty by saying that they're being snooty. Yeah. So, But she's also like, She's very practical and they've lived in this way for a very long time so they've got this whole world around them where you know like their tables are little um cotton reels and it's it is lovely the world that they live in the way that it's described that you know like they have safety pins to hold things together and and you know like they make flour and out of biscuits and all that stuff and yeah. you know they make sugar last for ages and they have like a teapot that's made out of a seed seed husk it's all very ingenious yeah it's um, enchanting and yeah it's, it's really easy to kind of picture I mean there are illustrations in both our yes. books I'm assuming I don't know if yeah, you're I think it's the, is it the same oh no I don't I believe they are oh can you show me your ones uh, so these are the original ones so this is Beth and Joe Crush are my illustrations okay I think- uh, don't believe it tells me oh uh, it just tells me the cover illustration is David Kearney. Oh, okay. These illustrations are 1993. They're super cute. Look at this. Not that you can see them in a podcast. No, yeah. I mean, black and, you know, black and white. Yes. 
they're the same but yeah no i have sean bailey though so i think we have got different ones yes i mean same book but yeah so you see i don't know like the the little boy yeah yeah mind like that but the, the idea is that even without the illustrations i don't think you need them because it's so nicely described yeah. in the book their little world um you can kind of see it hear it and smell it it is quite a, a lovely little universe um and yeah so the i the, it kind of starts off in a very dramatic manner in that pod the dad has been seen by a human being um a boy and uh, the brother who's telling the story to the well you know <laughs> you know the ladder of people telling who this little boy has apparently been sent to the house from India because he's recovering from an illness. So he's he's kind of brought a bit of uncertainty to a house which they previously lived in with just this old lady, uh, Aunt Sophie, I think her name is. Yeah, Sophie. And, and her driver, who's her cook. And uh, what's Carsperl, the sort I of... I, I wrote his name down, but I, uh, <laughs> it's like... He's got the weirdest name, Crampful, Crampful, the driver. The driver, yeah. yeah. So it's it's been like a very calm and sedate place, and then this boy turns up and he sees Pod climbing up a curtain, um, and there's the moment of them kind of like freezing. Oh my god! Um, so he kind of rushes in and he says, "I've been seen by a human being," um, and the upshot of this conversation interestingly is that homily decides that arietti needs to start learning how to borrow i think that she does it um to kind of like save pod from being out there all the time yeah at some point or another arietti you're gonna have to grow up and Mm -hmm. learn how to do this stuff because that's how we're going to survive um and she's quite insistent about it pod's not so up for it i think he kind of thinks it's a bit too soon obviously arietti is well up for it yeah um she has like he definitely feels trapped, and that comes across massively in the um and like uh, and I was saying that it's it has that lockdown feel about it. <laughs> it's no, so she's she, she's thirteen. That's when you want to start yeah. going on adventures. Exactly, and... and and there is there really is a sense of, of like she can see out of this grating into the world. But that's all she can see is she just has that glimpse. And there's, it's almost like she's got these iron bars between her and the world. Um, and it does. I mean, it's perfect lockdown reading, really, because we've all been trapped in for a year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just peeking outside through our grating. It's like, oh, yeah, I can see like, out I there. Consider, I consider uh, COVID to be the human beings, yeah. the danger <laughs> in the world. And she's she is she the she's she's kept in in a way that she's she is told that everything she does has to be quiet. She can't draw any attention. I mean, that's it's quite oppressive to live in that world. Um, even though it's all lovely and cozy, it has that feeling of like that they are if they're always holding their breath all the time and making sure they don't make any noise. That's like no way to live. Mm-hmm. Like one time when I lived upstairs from this woman who was just really angry every time I made the smallest noise. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, can I not just exist? I know. Be myself. Like come and knock on my door and and be like super angry at the fact that I got up and made myself a sandwich at like ten o'clock at night. That's oh, I feel yeah. for you, Arietti. I, I have definitely had those neighbors too. <laughs> 
so so yeah it definitely has i mean it's it is a lovely cozy world but arietti absolutely yearns to be free and be outside she spends a lot of time and she she more like, wants to be outside outdoors she doesn't actually yeah. care about the house as yeah. much she wants yeah. to be in nature I, I the idea of her borrowing more to her is just like i'm gonna get out of here at last so yeah she and she's excited i mean she's she admires her dad greatly for his borrowing skills and it is all quite mythical to her she's never seen any of the things he's talked to her about um so anyway that that is what happens she goes off with pods and on her first borrowing trip which is super exciting she's super excited um and she finally gets to go outside for the first time and it pretty much pod just leaves her to it he's like okay you you go and have a bit of an explore and i'll get this work done that needs doing um i think they're taking stuff out of the rug to make a brush for the mum, which is yeah. kind of lovely and uh Almost immediately, she's seen by the boy in the garden. After all, like the, all the secrecy in the world, and then all of a sudden, she's got this giant eye staring at her. Um, and it's such a nice scene in the book as well, because you can just imagine how massive he is, and she's yeah. never seen anything like it in her life. And they have the weirdest conversation. So, what I love about this is that so they're two kids. He's how old? He says he's 10, but he's only nine, I think. And she's 13? And she's 13. So she's older than him, but he's way bigger than her. But he's and also then, more experienced, I suppose. Yeah, than she I mean, she's, she's only ever read books. Like yeah. she's well, and not even books. very many books. <laughs> Two exactly. books, right? Exactly. And he's travelled all the way from India. He's like, he's seen the world. Um mm -hmm. But also, he talks like he's just a little kid. They're quite shouty with each other and boasty. They're like, "Well, I, yeah. I'm, a, you know, she's like, people are for people. Human beings are for borrowers. Like we're some kind of cattle <laughs> that she can just like feed off of and take things from. Which is super interesting, I think, because she has a much bigger idea of herself than she is, and she's super brave as well. She stands up to him. He's yeah. he's huge, but she stands up to him and, and, you know, she quite, she's stubborn. Like you say, she stands there and she just says to him, we're, you know, like, we've been doing this for X amount of time. And then he's, he, he breaks the news that there are quite a lot of humans in the world. And I think that's like, it's a, a big shock moment for Arietti. Because he's quite nasty, actually. Yeah, no, he's really very rude to her. He says that humans are going to um, kind of like there's billions of humans. He says there are millions of humans just in India <laughs> and in the world there are even more. Um, and he, he basically says that there can't be that many borrowers because has she ever seen? So he starts to make her question yeah. her world and the stories of Uncle Hendriri and, and the other family. And he he kind of like shakes everything and gets into her head that maybe the borrowers are dying out. And it, it is, it's quite a horrible moment. And then he's like, also, I want you to read to me after, you know, having said that your race are completely disappearing. So he, he basically can't read very well because he's learning English because um, he's grown up in India. So mm -hmm. he asks Arietti to read for him and he demands that she, she do it. In exchange, he'll take a message to her uncle, who's in a badger set. Like, yeah, who had to 
I think the dad, yeah, because he was seen and his daughter died. Daughter, well, his daughter disappeared. They don't disappear. Yeah, what happened to his Eglantine, his daughter. Yeah, I love. Um, I love the names. I know it's great. So that so there's the exchange is that she's going to read to him, and and then you know he'll take this message, call exchange, and they kind of they don't feel like friends by the end of this. It is it's a hard exchange to read. You're like, oh, how can you say that? But then it's such a a ten year old boy's conversation. You know, and yeah. thirteen year old girls one really. They both <laughs> think a lot of themselves and then they kind of come away with a lot to think about. Um and then he goes off to get his book and in the meantime Ariete gets called away by her dad. So they go their separate ways. Um and then you have like this Mrs. Driver, the cook, and the the driver. Yeah. Mrs. Driver and the driver. <laughs> Crampfell, the driver, having yeah. this conversation where they, they basically say the kid's acting a little bit weird so like what's going on i can't even remember the boy's name that's terrible isn't it what's no he name? he's not he's not named in the book oh okay that's good i thought oh this Wait, what was the other one we read where it wasn't named a character mm, we've done a few of these now <laughs> but there was another one where a main character didn't have it completely was and i've entirely forgotten what it was it might come back to us yes it will but it is yeah. kind of it's an interesting i think maybe it's a device for to allow children to see themselves more yeah. in the character yeah. yeah no that's and that actually makes complete sense that's quite lovely yeah mm-hmm. but and he is i mean you're you're kind of supposed to i think you're supposed to relate to arietti more but he yeah. is he's very much a blank you don't really know much about him yeah and he He's supposed to be ill as well. So he's quite tired and, you know, like he's not a terribly passionate. He's he's just grumpy, really, which mm-hmm. would be. Um, and he hasn't got any friends around or anything. He's in yeah. isolation himself. And I think that's why they gravitate so much to each other, because actually they neither of them have got any friends or anything to do. Yeah. So the so the deal is the Mrs. Driver and Crampfer, the um chauffeur start to notice that he's being a bit suspicious and they think he's got a pet ferret or something which is like (laughs) how does your mind go straight to that obviously anytime i'm suspicious about anyone i assume it's pet ferret related where do you find a (laughs) ferret in the wild of english countryside do they exist yeah everyone's got a ferret nora did you not know clearly not i didn't (laughs) think their natural habitat was (laughs) Anyway, he does, he gets a letter from Arietti, he takes the letter away. The, you know, aside from the suspicion, it does happen and he does get a letter back, um, which he gives to Arietti. And while he's giving it to her, Pod catches them in the exchange and it's all kind of like out in the open. Um, and Arietti has to confess everything that's happened, basically. So the, the deal is that. She's been told not to interact with humans, but there is uh, this weird thing where Pod talks to Aunt Sophie. Yes, I love this little side story. It's great. It's lovely. So basically, Pod Aunt Sophie has like a drink before she goes to bed, which makes her like a little bit maybe Whoa. a few drinks. Yeah, and then Pod like just strolls up to her and starts having chats, and she thinks he's a fairy. 
Oh, see, so so Nora's book has a, a picture of a decanter and Pod doing a fancy bow. I do not yes. have that in my book. It, uh, and it says specifically she's drinking Madeira. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So she's, she's all boozed up um, and yeah. thinks that he's a, like, figment of... So they are having human interaction. I think, like... He he definitely has a relationship with her, and and that's quite nice for him because he's getting out and talking to someone else. He's he's not having the same kind of isolation that the other two are. Um, yeah. But they're completely horrified that Arietti is making friends with this boy, um, to the point where they're like, "Well, we're going to have to emigrate now because he's definitely going to find out where we live because that's how little boys are." Mm -hmm. They're nosy little beggars. <laughs> and they destroy <laughs> things. Exactly. And there's a bit where um, Pod says about humans, which I really liked, he says, they're bad and they're good, said Pod. They're honest and they're artful. It, um, it's just as it takes them at the moment. And animals, if they could talk, would say the same. Steer clear of them. That's what I've always been told, no matter what they promise you. No good never really came to no one from a human being. So even though he's friends with Aunt Sophie, he's still... Human beings are only allowed to be boozed up, basically. Yeah. <laughs> if you're friends with them. Well, I think it depends on how they're reacting to you because he tells a story about how the, the uncle who was seen, it was like one of the ma like the maids in the house who like screamed when she yeah. saw him so it's it's i guess it depends on the type of human you're talking about yeah, exactly yeah but uh, i mean his his main rule is humans aren't any good yeah with exceptions i think so so they are they're basically like we're gonna have to emigrate and actually Ariety is super happy about that because she wants to get out like her dream is to be outside i mean the first thing she does when she got out before was have a wander through the garden yeah. Um, and it is a lovely scene to read. She like picks up a stack of petals, like they're plates, and um, and just the yeah the descriptions of like nature and stuff around her. She's she's just way more at home outside, and um, and so yeah, I mean it makes sense that she's kind of like secretly delighted that this is the consequence, um, which you know they probably discuss it and that everything would be fine, but. <laughs> da, da, da. And, uh, things are not so easy boys will be boys um the boy finds them so he this scene is crazy he gets a screwdriver and he he wrenches the floorboard um that's above them out and he just basically looks in there i mean he's destroying their home and so awful i mean <laughs> What I love about it is that it really shows the sense of how clumsy he is compared to them. He is mm -hmm. like an absolute giant ripping the roof off of their house. And he thinks he's being kind. So he he takes like a dresser from the doll's house that he's got in his room and he plonks it <laughs> into the middle of their house. But it is utter chaos. There's stuff falling all over the place and they are like very much horrified by it mm -hmm. um and even though like arietti they're, they're kind of having a conversation and she's saying oh let me show you this let me show you that but even arietti is scared of how ham-handed he is yeah. because he's not doing it delicately he's ruining their stuff he thinks he's doing a good thing 
it's very it is very 10 year old boy again like you know they've just got so much energy and and they're not quite as coordinated as they will be in later life yeah so he's he's just messing stuff up and as much as he's given them something that is really cool he's still not only causing complete chaos but he's found them so they have that sense of alarm that i think he just it's not getting through to him at all yeah he just thinks oh this cute <laughs> and they're just like damn that's it cat out of the bag we're definitely gonna have to go now um but I, then i don't on. think he sees them as like fellow like beings really no. he sees yeah. them as like a curiosity yeah i mean he, he kind of still thinks they're fairies he yeah. also had to fly the first time he meets her he's like can you fly so he definitely yeah. thinks that they're they're magical creatures Mm-hmm. Not yeah, he's not. There's no respect there. Yeah. Um, and I think that it is something that kind of comes with meeting more people and being a little bit more mature, which he isn't. And even though Ariette is a little bit older and she's she's having chats with him, she's not as worried as the parents who are thinking of all the consequences from all this craziness. But then he persuades them to stay by offering them shiny things. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like well the mum is a the mum is a sucker for luxury she is exactly and even like pod at the there's a point where the boy says shall i put the shall i put the board back and you know nail it down and then pod says of course you should and then the boy says well i could leave it open so that we could maybe you know get more stuff from the doll's house and so pod is like oh, yeah all right then I mean, it didn't take much persuading. Yeah. Really. So the whole family is pretty much on board with it, um, which, you know, you're already like thinking, oh, no, <laughs> it's, it's going to go badly. Just nail it down and walk away. Um, then we have a scene where Mrs. Driver is already suspicious, um, hears noises during the night, wanders downstairs to kind of work out what's going on and sees, because there's that little gap, sees the light from their tiny, tiny house um, and she finds their house and she <laughs> she completely freaks out, um, yeah. which is kind of lovely actually, because she, I love that, so Homily is in the house, like looking up at her and even though like Homily is like quite a warrior and you know, squeamy and stuff like that, there's just this bit where it says, a slow anger was rising up in homily. She had been caught in her hair curlers. Yes, like, I love like, this. How dare you? Like, she's she's more, like, offended by the fact that yeah. she didn't have time to prepare for this. And she's quite fierce in that, you know, like, she, she's definitely a warrior. But also, she it says, um, you know, that... She she doesn't flinch when she gets caught. Yeah. At any time, she's just like, how dare you? And I, yeah. I just think, you know, that's where Arietti gets it from. Whereas you think her dad's like, you know, he's the one running up curtains and stuff like that. Homily's very much like, this is my home. Get yeah. out. Even though she does want the shiny stuff. We all want the shiny stuff, though. <laughs> so I can relate to that as well. Um, But she doesn't actually see them mrs driver she just kind of glimpses them so she describes them as little people or mice dressed up which i quite like as well <laughs> just like 
mice in tiny coats. Um, that yeah. So I mean, that moment is they're basically they have to go at this point mm-hmm. because she's then saying she's going to call the police. I'm not sure how the police deal with. Yeah, what is, do you think they're going to do? I know. It's, it, that is a bit of a weird choice. And uh, Rat Catcher, she also mentions. Um, so at that point, it then starts snowballing towards the end, yeah. really. Yeah, I mean, you're almost at the end already. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, it, the thing is, it's quite a, a slow... There's a period of time where he's just given them stuff and, and it's all very nice and shiny. It doesn't last for all that long. But he basically just starts filling their whole house with, it's like like a whole bunch of Amazon orders all of a sudden. <laughs> just like turning oh up. They're getting all fancy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like Amazon, they're obviously feeling the guilt that we feel when we order something where they just know that it's going to be disastrous in the end. Um, but they keep doing it until mm. they get found. Um and then it, it comes to a point where they agree. He basically, the boy agrees to, to hide them for a night and then they can get away the next day to emigrate. Um, and then they're told the story of what really happens to Eglantine, uh, where she was she was seen and they, they family got a cat. And I think, did they steal like a, a watch or something? Yeah. And so... Yeah, so they find they basically got a cat, and then Eglantine was eaten by that cat. So it's quite a like a shocking reveal. <laughs> Very <laughs> dark, point, actually. Yeah, a point where like I mean, it had just been it, to this at this point, everyone's just mysterious. They talk about a lot of other like people who live. I think there's they're called are they called the, the mantle pieces, the overmantles, the overmantles who lived on yeah. the top of the mantle. Oh, and then the rain pipe. Yeah, so they've got like every, basically yeah. the borrowers are named after where they live. Yes, so that's why these these guys are the clocks because they yeah. live under the grandfather mm-hmm. clock. So there's yeah. there's all these stories of all these other families, but ooh, sorry, broom cupboard boys was uh, one of them. <laughs> sorry, I would read all of these books. Yeah, <laughs> but there's never any explanation as to what happened to them, and Ariety never really asks. I think she's been like. She it's like a secret that you know, like it's the elephant in the room because I think once she knows and once they admit that it's all going horribly wrong and that there are only a few of them, then they have to do something about it. So again, it's just like they're kind of they're hiding under the floorboards, but they're also hiding from the truth, which is that borrowers are kind of dying out. Um and then when you find out what happened to is she called Eglantine or Eglantine? Eglantina, I think it is. Yeah, she um she got eaten by a cat, and you're just like, oh, okay then. That's horrifying. Oh. How how on earth did you decide to stick around after that? I mean, that's quite. They must have made a decision. Yeah, there's, there's so much that isn't said in this mm-hmm. book that's just like left up to the imagination. Ours and Ariete's. I mean, like everything in is gaps for her. She's just had to kind of work stuff out. And for us, like, I, I'd like to think that they just moved away. All of these m- many other borrowers. Right. But it's quite likely that they were eaten by said cat. Or other animals or, or stepped yeah, or on or something. Or, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it definitely comes across how fragile they are. Yeah. Um, but also you get this feeling, especially when he's taking the stuff that 
is it's less borrower like mm-hmm. like the shiny things like the cups yeah. and the plates and everything else that you start to realize that they are like parasites that they're not borrowing they are basically stealing stuff stealing even the stuff that they're borrowing is it isn't really theirs they're not making their way in the world on their own they are they're parasites they're living off of humans so i like i think that there's the the feeling that if they leave they're gonna have to fend for themselves and homily definitely says oh we're gonna end up eating caterpillars you know like almost like we're too good for that she doesn't want to slide into you know like having to live in a shack in the middle of nowhere and 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 make roast caterpillar for dinner um but yeah so it just comes to this crisis where they they have to leave so he he scoops them up in i think it's a peg bag and uh and squirrels them away and there's there's quite a lot of hysteria going on from homily at this point yes (laughs) he's like he offers to carry them in his hands and she's like, I would rather die. I love how dramatic she is. She's wonderful. I also like that she's the one who encouraged Arietti to go out and borrow in the first place. Yes. So she's she isn't completely against the idea of, you know, she'd rather borrow from them than go off and fend for herself to the point where right. she, put, she would put her own daughter in peril. Risk. Yeah. <laughs> She's an interesting character, Homily is. Um, so Mrs. Driver catches him doing suspicious stuff and locks him in his room. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's of terror. <laughs> she's yeah. absolute terror. Watch out for the, those housekeepers. Exactly. Going from the person who's supposed to be looking after him and making him see yeah. stuff to someone who is... She has a real vengeance thing towards the idea of the borrowers yeah and there's a whole thing about a maid who was there once who got accused of taking something and that maid having to be dismissed and that mrs driver has never really believed that that's what the case was yeah she's outraged by it all um and there's a really lovely conversation where um he him and mrs driver having this conversation and and he gets all teary and he says, um, like, he calls himself a borrower. It's so sweet. <laughs> so she basically says that they're thieves, Mrs. Driver does. And um, and she says, you know, you know what they do to thieves? And he says, no. And she says, they lock them up. That's what they do with thieves. And that's what's going to happen to you. How scary is she? She is yeah. terrifying. And he says, bless his heart. I'm not a thief, cried the boy, his lips trembling. I'm a borrower. So he thinks honestly, the feels. It's the sweetest thing. Yeah. So, you know, he's in a world of human beings, he he definitely gels more with the tiny borrowers than he does with the other people. Interestingly, his relationship with Aunt Sophie doesn't appear to exist. No, she she doesn't really exist in what's happening, though. I don't know. She's in her room the entire time. Yeah, it's weird. It's like they don't really. I mean, she's obviously a, a mildly alcoholic <laughs> because she's she is having her drinks overnight. Yeah, um, but if they'd actually sat down and had a conversation, they're yeah. both on the borrower's side. It, albeit that she thinks that the borrowers are green fairies from her alcohol, but um, you know, it's it, there's more on the borrower side than there aren't in that house really i don't know what camp fell's 
places. I don't think he cares really. <laughs> but um, yeah. but yeah, it's it is it's a really sad moment when he says that. It's just like he is. She says, she then says to him, "A what?" When he says borrower, and it says a borrower. He repeated. There were tears on his eyelids. He hoped they would not fall. It's like, oh, bless his heart, you know. And then you, when you think about it, he's he's away from his parents. He's travelled all the way from India on his own. He's ill, and he has no friends, and he's in this situation where this nasty woman, who's really the only person looking after him, is yeah. not in a good place at all. So I love how brave he is in this scene. It's really sweet, and and from this point on, he has all my respect. Whereas earlier on, when he was saying, "Well, you're all going to die," <laughs> it's just like so grim. Damn. But um, it kind of goes to show the effects that Ariete has had on him. Yeah. Going from him being this little boy who, who can't read, so he can't even entertain himself, just being grumpy at the world, to now coming to the point where he's just like inspired by the borrowers so much that he wants to be one. Mm -hmm. So I, I just think that it's lovely. And how emotional he is when he was so unemotional before about you know like pulling the roof off their house and stuff all of a sudden it's like yeah. his heart's woken up so i yeah i think that's lovely and then and then that's the end and then like mrs may who's telling the story so suddenly you wake up and you're like oh okay oh. i forgot there's another narrator yeah. mrs may is like oh and then that's it and then kate or not kate as the confusing model of the start is says what the heck and then she says well he never saw the borrowers ever again and yeah. it, i mean it could end there <laughs> that would have been quite harsh um but it kind of carries on in a bit of a more of a twisty way um where it says mrs driver locked him in his room but then she continued to come up and give him like a running commentary on everything that was happening yeah um, so the police basically thought she was an alcoholic and made fun of her uh, and then eventually so he got to go downstairs because the rat catcher turns up and starts to try and gas the rats the rats yeah. out of the walls um so even though he doesn't see them he knows that they're in trouble oh so and there's he, a boy with a ferret yes and yes. A, oh, there is a ferret yes <laughs> see we do all have ferrets nora Clearly. Clearly, it is the British pet to have. I'm a big fan of ferrets in this. Um, but so he, he basically steals a pickaxe when they're not looking. And see, he becomes, from lying around and just reading and, and not doing much, because he is ill, he's suddenly picked up with this energy and passion to help them. He tries smashing a hole where the clock is to try and like let them out, and they've put concrete behind it or metal or something so he can't yeah so as the car's pulling up this is a very kind of movie moment actually you you can hear the car pulling up on the gravel and he runs around the corner to where the grating is the arietti yeah. in the know, nick of time in the nick of time he he pries the grating open so that they've mm -hmm. got room to escape but he doesn't see them escape no. and then he goes I and mean, he never if, knows if i were him I'd, I'd be i would find a way to find out but he doesn't yeah. that's the end of his story mm -hmm. um and then yeah like end of uh and then kate's like what which is 
pretty much how I was feeling um, at the yeah. same time because he's just gotten in a taxi and off he's gone. And uh, she asks, Mrs. May says she knows that they were all right. And, and she says, well, how do you know? Mrs. May says, I just know. You know, like grown-ups are just like, yeah. why? Because... <laughs> but you also t you know that there's more to the story because yeah, there's four more books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, there are more pages after she says she just yes, knows. Yeah. Um, so then there's a little bit where they talk about how what they think might have happened. And it's quite nice because uh, Kate knows Arietti so well at this point. So they've been sewing this quilt together for a while. So she's heard the whole story. So they talk about like how ingenious the family is and how they what they might have done, how they might have cooked um, and, you know, like what they might have lived on and where they might have lived. So they kind of talk about that for a little while. And then uh, Mrs May says that she did end up going to the house at a certain point. So you're like, oh, she's totally going to have seen a borrower. This is amazing. Uh, but she says, no, I didn't see him either. Oh, disappointing, <laughs> Mrs May. But then she says... She found what seems very much like a teapot from the the teapot that they were describing earlier on. So that's yeah. quite exciting. And then she says she smelled hot pot being cooked in a certain area where hot pot could not possibly have been cooked. So she's kind of implying that they were having like their little, that homily was cooking up a hot dinner. Mm -hmm. um, and then Kate says... Oh, and also you should probably mention that you found Arietti's diary, like the jigs yeah. up, Mrs. May. I know, because obviously, you, how would you know the story otherwise in such detail? Yeah. And uh, she says, well, yeah, I did. I found like a little book. It may it may have been filled with some writing. Um, <laughs> but then she says, <laughs> the, the exact words are, finding the page um yeah she says uh well that proves it kate says that well that proves it and then mrs may says not quite why not ask kate arietta used to make her ease like little half moons with a stroke in the middle well said kate mrs may laughed and took up her work again my brother did too she says and that's how it ends yeah so you're just like hang on a minute <laughs> <laughs> so did it happen or didn't it happen I mean, I don't know. I I love the uncertainty of it all. Yeah, and and I think it's quite a nice way of like because you're ending on discussion, really, aren't you? Straight away, yeah. it's a great way for a kids' book to end. Yeah, because then you know your imagination just goes. Phew. I mean, obviously, it did happen. Clearly, <laughs> I tell you why it did happen because why I have an afterword in my book. I don't know if you do. Uh, I don't. No, I don't. Ah, see, so one up on you. Okay. <laughs> so my after word is by a lady called, and it's about five pages, my afterwards. Wow. Judith Elkin, mm -hmm. who apparently is an expert on children's literature and seems to have had a conversation with Mary Norton. Uh, where Mary Norton showed her, she says, when I met Mary Norton, she spoke with absolute certainty about the borrowers and showed me some of her treasures, such as examples of tiny borrowings, Pod's tin pin hat complete with name tape, a tiny half scissor, a small china cup, 
Ariete's and Ariete's memoranda. All of the stories are so logically and perfectly worked out in the minutest detail that it, it is as if we really know that the borrowers are there, but had forgotten until Mary Norton reminded us of them. So clearly that is... Oh, I love that. Story. I know. So they um, are real. So, so is Kate, is Ma wait, is Mary Kate, Kate Mary? Maybe. I think so. I think that's what they're implying. And, and it also says, um, at the end it says, so is it fantasy or perhaps documentary? I believe in the borrowers. I hope you do too. I'm also sorry I never met them, but then there is still time. So quite a nice little afterword there. Oh, but I yeah, that. I mean they were definitely real. So there you go. And and off the back of that as well, in a little bit of research about Mary Norton, I found out that the inspiration for this is apparently when she was young, she was short sighted. And they didn't realise for ages that she needed glasses. So she was always looking at stuff like this, like peering at things super close so that she could see them and mm. then while she was doing that she started to wonder what it would be like if you were really small and you had to live in a world where things were that big and that's where the inspiration came from which is lovely it's all down to bed eyesight <laughs> so i i did end up because there's four other books in the series i yeah, ended up reading yeah. i ended up reading the second one i was going to try and read all of them but it was a lot of reading because it is a lot of yeah, yeah. Um, they're big and it's bigger books yes they're much longer because I think the second one was like 300 pages quite yeah. surprise so it did take me a while to finish it because I just because I did it because in the films I've so I wanted to see because there's certain new characters and stuff that we'll talk yeah. about yeah, yeah, that yeah. are actually from the other books that they're pulling yeah. from yeah. future books in the series so that may from in reference to the films that makes sense um, yeah 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 it does i think um have we done another book where oh yeah earthsea they squish yes. a lot yes. into one so i think they do they are like they like a bit of borrowing from other ones ah, i mean it, it's i think the movie they're mostly looking at the first book but there's a little bit of yeah, bits and exactly. bobs that they're taking yeah, yeah but, exactly. And the other books are really good because it, and it is Kate as well. Like she's meeting other people and finding out more stories about them yeah. and trying to putting the pieces together, the oh, puzzle. Right. So apparently initially she, Mary Norton wrote it as a one-off and she wasn't going to write any more, but it was so popular. She then went ahead and wrote the others, but yeah. she, it wasn't the plan, which is quite nice actually. Yeah. It is kind of cool. Like, that's a baller move to end a kid's story that way, though. Yeah. Exactly. No happily ever after. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're in danger. They're in a different kind of danger, really. Yeah. But they're always going to be. That's kind of the point of them being so tiny. It's risky being a borrower. It is. It is very. I, I mean, I, I just love the framing of the idea of this older woman telling a young girl the story yeah. and that there's there's so much to the idea of borrowers that is in the realm of possibility you know yeah, we have th we, things things go missing like a safety pin a needle scrap yeah, of one, paper one sock one sock yeah. away goes missing. you know a, you know little cr crumbs of toast you're like oh yeah. i thought i i did i clean that up and yeah. why why couldn't it be a borrower though exactly exactly yeah absolutely so I, I think, and then leaving the idea of the existence of them up to the reader, and it, you know, mostly yeah. children are reading it. So yeah. I think for them, it, it just, it makes sense. Absolutely. Of course yeah. there's borrowers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, that, that sense of 
something being there out of the corner of your eye. And yeah. there's so much that we kind of don't know about, even in terms of like insects, you know, crawling around and, you know, everything's got a life somewhere. Yeah. And there, you know, there are animals in the sea that we don't even exist. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's lovely as well because it is that, that idea of like low fantasy. I hate that because it just sounds, yeah. but, but it is, it's true that, you know, that when you mix the normal world with a little bit of something magical, it feels more believable than if yeah. you wildly go off in some kind of like Lord of the Rings country where it is yeah. so completely different from ours. Um, and it feels much more like comfortable to kind of imagine. I mean, it's stuff that you can see, like mm. the things that they use to move around in and, and stuff like that. There are things that you can actually look at and think, okay, what would it be like if I were really tiny standing in front of that bookshelf? Um, but you're still in a safe space because you're in your own world at the same I mean, time. As a kid, who didn't like try and play? It's not dolls, but like, you know, you'd make little fairy villages and yeah. stuff in the garden okay. and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the existence of dolls' houses is, you know, perfect example of oh. the fact that the idea of being tiny and having tiny things, tiny things are the coolest. I know. Well, I. I remember, like, the other ones I was into, there was, like, Thumbelino's great. You have yeah. Gulliver, Gulliver's Travels. Do you remember? He's on the... <laughs> Did you ever see, there was the movie and the book, The Indian in the Cupboard? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then what was the fairy one with the, the girls who thought they saw a fairy in the garden and they had a picture of oh, it? Oh, that was the... the oh, I can't remember what it was called, but it was, uh, it was all... Uh, they took photos yeah. of drawings... I mean that was amazing, and that totally captured the imagination of everyone in the everyone in the UK in the world. In fact, <laughs> like oh, actually, are fairies real? It was like the earliest version of Photoshop ever. They, the, they, the, the, what was the movie they did on it? Was I remember that? There was a, yeah, I think there was a film. I have no idea what it was called, but um, there are definitely books and documentaries about it as well because people honestly believed. I mean, if you think about it, at the time, photography was very much a a newish thing oh the, ca the ca cottingly fairies cottingly fairies yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah that's it yeah so it's basically two girls who took uh drawings of fairies as if and and used them as if they were in the world so they took photographs of these drawings doing things flying around and stuff i think they were in some of the photos yeah as well and then basically said they'd found fairies and told in, it, in the newspapers and it completely captured the imaginations of everyone and I think what's nice about it is it's that thing of you want to believe that there's more than just us you mm -hmm. want to believe that there's magic in the world so if you find proof of it and the, like you say the idea of stuff going missing if the if the, the reason that stuff is missing is because tiny people are borrowing it they're <laughs> good with it yeah much more fun than I just dropped it down the back of the sofa and I'm never gonna find it again <laughs> exactly and people want to believe in magic otherwise those fairies you know people would have just laughed them the, yeah out of the you know out of the newsroom <laughs> mm -hmm. I think their dad or mum had a connection with someone in the press and that's how that yeah. became so huge but yeah <clears throat> it's a good example of how willing people are to jump on board something that's a little bit out of this world yeah. but still enough in our world for them to relate to it that's why harry potter did so well 
because he yeah. is a human who lived in you know a tiny little house in Privet Drive, then ended up going to wizard school. Didn't just start <laughs> out in wizard school. Everyone so wants to have magic. Do, absolutely. I definitely yeah. do. Yeah. I still went to my letter from Hogwarts. I'm I still went to be a, a borrower in my kitchen somewhere or another. Mm -hmm. yeah. It will happen. Exactly. <laughs> I I love this book, and I would the other books in the series are they. I read the second one and I read a little bit about the other ones to see if yeah. there's anything they're pulling from it. And they're just so charming and lovely. And just, they are. Yeah. They're lovely. The, the language in it is, is just, the settings are beautiful and it's really nicely written. It is very much like someone's telling you a bedtime story. It's got that it feel is. to it. Um, and it's very cozy and it's, you know, it's all, it is all cups of tea and, and firesides mm -hmm. and beautiful, like out, the outdoors the gardens the flowers the bees buzzing around feels very british as well <laughs> very british countryside you know mm -hmm. like summer holiday kind of feel to it so it's very yeah. very atmospheric and um <clears throat> you can kind of see why if you look at all of the studio ghibli films the you know the big ones uh totoro and um spirited away and stuff it's got that they all have that cozy feeling to them kiki mm -hmm. as well yeah that nice kind of like sat by the fire eating a fish pie kind of yeah, yeah. there's something comforting and that's why yeah. their films always end up being really rewatchable and kind of instant classics because you yeah. feel yeah you feel comforted by watching them there's yeah, something safe like, yeah and even the danger in them in the boroughs especially doesn't feel that dangerous yeah i feel like the, the most i think the the place where I felt it wasn't when Mrs. Driver pulled the floor up. It was when he pulled the floor up because you're like, yeah. oh, careful. You don't know what you're doing. You know, but that's as much peril as you get. Um, that's why it was a bit of a, you were a bit thrown when Eglantina got eaten by a cat. You're like, oh, hang on. That's <laughs> I, don't want dark. Actual, I don't want actual terror here. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's gentle peril. Um, but, you know, everyone's tucked up in bed. By the end that's yeah it it definitely has that adorable fairy tale kind of thing to it of just like and they all lived happily ever after but wasn't that fun um and i do think that that's what miyazaki goes for yeah. he's definitely drawn towards those styles and clearly he was drawn towards the borrowers yes um quickly before we get into the bar well arietti uh, yeah. the Ghibli version of The Borrowers. I did want to have brief mentions because I watched two of the other film adaptations. Thank so I yeah. bring myself to do it. <laughs> well, I was, I was quite surprised. I just wanted to see, because I think with The Borrowers, and I've seen this with other, I, when I did an episode on Little Women and I was finding that a lot of times they were basing the films off her awesome of past adaptations other, rather yeah, than the actual yeah. book. So I wanted to see if there's any of that. Yeah. So there was a 1970s TV film version, which I could not find. Okay. There's been like three TV series. Yeah. There was, so I watched the, there's the 1997 adaptation, which is very charming, but kind of gimmicky. And it has like Hugh Laurie, John Goodman, okay, yeah. Jim Broadbent. Like both, both of it's all British stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So 
with this one, some of the things was that, so you have um, just like a very brief description. So you have the, the young boy and he, he notices that things are missing. So he's trying to catch okay. whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. And also she has a little brother called P Green in it. Oh, nice name. Uh, which is a young Tom Felton. Ooh, from- really? Yes. <laughs> so the story is because they're all modern. The adaptations, none of them are sent in the title. Pea Green of the book. doesn't appear in any of the other books, or a yeah. person called Pea Green. So it's completely. Uh, I think there might be the name Pea Green, but they okay. don't. She doesn't have a mysterious okay. little brother. <laughs> so what's happening is that the family's getting kicked out of the house because their aunt who had passed away, who owned it, her will was missing and the evil Mr. Potter wants to turn into luxury flats. So the, the young boy and the borrowers partner up together to find the will and save the house. So there's all these like hijinks. Yeah. So much less cozy drama than. Yes. I mean, it was like silly action stuff. I mean, 90s, uh, right? Did you say 90s? Well, 90, 90, 97. So 90s, you also... 90s drama was very much like shake shake you and shout you in your, in your face, kind of. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we also, we get, we meet Spiller, who we'll talk about. And then also you meet like a huge group of borrowers who they live in the outside world and they're ca- Ooh, called okay. outies. All right, outies. Outies. And then... <laughs> The other one that I watched, which came out after Arietti, is the 2011 adaptation, which is on BBC and just came out on Netflix. And I hadn't even heard of it. And I was quite pleasantly surprised by it. And I think it actually uses more of the books than any of the other ones do. So I I think it's an actually pretty okay film. So it's... Who's in that one? So that has, it has Stephen Fry's in it as sort of the villain. Okay. And yeah. then, oh, you have um, a young, uh, what's his name? Robert Sheehan, who's in, okay. he's in Umbrella Academy. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and Christopher Eccleston is in it. Oh, so big names. Big yeah, names. so you have a few good names. And it's, so in this one, the young boy, his mother's passed away and him and his dad have moved into the grandmother's house. So similar, this boy kind of interrupting okay. this house. And the grandmother is frustrated by the borrowers and wants to get rid of them. But Ooh. the young boy wants to save them. So okay. the clock family manages to flee to a secret borrower city that's in the <laughs> underground. <laughs> that's very Hollywood. And... That's actually from the books, by the way, later on in the oh, series. Really? There are borrower okay. cities. Amazing. I, re- I am going to read the other books because I like I, it was so enchanting, the borrowers, that I was like, I need to read. The yes. borrowers was the only one I read when I was young. So I feel like I need to wander into the rest of the world. But and then also there's this other character which is Stephen Fry and it's Professor Mild Eye, which is actually referencing a character from the second book. Yeah. And he's obsessed with little people in like myths and he goes trying to hunt them. So the young boy, Arietti and Spiller, they work together to rescue the parents because he manages to catch them. And okay. Okay. I, I actually thought that was it was quite good. I was surprised I hadn't heard of it before. I yeah. was so that was quite nice. So, so I, yeah, I'm definitely going to watch. 
there, so Arietti or The Secret World of Arietti came out in 2010. It was written by Hayao Miyazaki and cool. Kiko Niwa. Mm -hmm. And Kiko Niwa also worked on Tales of Ursi, uh, Marnie, Poppy Hill, Ocean yeah. Waves, and yeah. Earwig. So very experienced yeah. writer. And because I, she, she did the ones that all have humans in rather than yes, like, yeah, she's obviously a human person. <laughs> yeah because apparently Hayao Miyazaki kind of did like the rough script and she yeah. did the real like fleshing out of everything yeah um yeah where it was more of an outline of things and yeah. then it was directed by Hiramasha Yonabashi uh, yeah, <laughs> or was like that's a long name Yes. Yeah. And the this was his directorial debut and he was the youngest director ever to direct a Ghibli film. Whoa. And he also directed when Marnie was there after that. And he did another film, which I highly recommend called Mary and the Witch's Flower. Yes. Yeah. Lovely film. So Lovely. that's very good. And also, like uh, I saw that he was uh, in Japan, it's the biggest opening for a first-time director ever for a film. Very. So I mean, quite he's impressive. kind of he's lucked out. It's a Studio Ghibli film. It's yeah. <laughs> it's going to so do I, well, I, right? He kind of like look into a little bit of his history. Apparently, he saw um, when he was ten, he saw his first Studio Ghibli film, and then after that, he just stalked Miyazaki for ages and ages until he got picked to be an animator on stuff. So he was like, he's a diehard Ghibli fan, which is really yeah. nice. Like he's he's totally just worked his way up. Yeah. The ladder. And then can you imagine from being 10 years old, seeing your first film mm -hmm. to, to Miyazaki turning up at your house and going, so <laughs> you want to, you want to, you want to make one yourself. I mean, that's fairly amazing. Yeah. Really. I, and he's kind of sort of left Studio Ghibli to do this, these sort of other films, because yeah. I think it's quite, uh, I mean, because it's, I don't know if it's like, it's not a tiny studio, but they're quite structured in the projects they're yeah. doing. And I think the projects are up to Miyazaki and the sort of higher ups, like you yeah. don't get a voice necessarily in what you're working on. Like he got yeah, chosen to do yeah. this. He didn't choose to do this movie. Yeah. I, apparently it says that he was quite reluctant to do it when he was first yeah. asked. It doesn't say why, but uh, it's interesting because you can imagine that there's quite a lot of um, expectancy mm -hmm. on somebody. I mean, he knocked it out of the park. He completely did, obviously. Oh, I think the thing was with why he was reluctant is that he felt, because he was just an animator, that as a director, it's different in that you have to have this sort of vision yeah. versus like just being, a you know, you're a worker bee. Yeah. You know, he didn't feel he had the artistic vision to create something on his yeah. own and just, you know, manage it himself. Which is totally understandable. I, I you know, like even though he's worked all that time, because the thing with them, with the borrowers was apparently uh, Miyazaki had been contemplating making it into a film for 40 years. Yeah. Like that's a lot to put on a brand new director as well. If you know that this is like someone's been thinking about this project for probably most of this guy's lifetime, <laughs> then all of a sudden never having done it before, you're like, do you want to do it? I'd definitely be having a, a good long think 
before I yeah. said yes. I, I do like that the process of it was, you know, he could have shown Miyazaki things, but he, and Miyazaki respected this, that he very specifically did not show him anything. Yeah. And Miyazaki didn't see it until the premiere of the film. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is quite cool. And he, he said it was important that he kind of just worked on his own and didn't yeah. have any interference from like the higher ups that. Yeah, and that's, it's a, I mean, that's quite a, a strong stance to take as well. Mm-hmm. So, and I mean, obviously it, it did very well. So yes. it, it did a good job, but um, that's also a lot of trust for the studio to put in somebody to say, yeah. just come back to us when it's done. They clearly saw, I mean, recognized talent. Yeah, I mean, he, he did. He's done. He's worked on amazing stuff. I he, think it was he was there for like fif- fifteen years before. You yeah. know, it's not like he didn't have experience. He earned he it. Did and Howl and Spirited Away. He worked on. Yeah, them, like so <laughs> the big ones. So yeah, and apparently his favorite um, Ghibli film is Whisper of the Heart. Oh, that's quite so, nice. <laughs> But again, it's people. He's yeah. a person. So I I found a good quote from Miyazaki, though I'm not sure how well translated this is about him, about the borrowers and the choosing of it. He said, the situation of the borrowers is very pleasant. They just fit into our present day. The age of mass consumption is now coming to an end. The idea of borrowing proves the advent of it with the crisis. It is, this film is to comfort and encourage people who live in this chaotic and worrying time. I love it. It's very nice. You always say stuff when I'm just like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly I... what I got from that. <laughs> Recycling, <laughs> upcycling. And then also there was from the producer of the film said that the original title was meant to be Little Arietti. And he said, why did he decide to choose Arietti as the title instead of Barrows? And he said he just, he liked the sound of Arietti because in Japanese, it's just an A-R-I-E-T-T-I. Yeah. And he used to talk about how the life of the Barrows, and he loved that. So like the life of Arietti. So yeah. that's kind of how that title came about yeah. rather than just calling it the Barrows. I mean, it is a lovely word in any language. Yeah. I know. I, I really like that name. I don't know where it comes from, though. Is there no, the I etymology? Have, I, I um, a friend of mine named their daughter Arietti, and I think that's just, like, such a nice name to grow up with. Also, as we assume, we both watched it in Japanese. Oh, absolutely. So that's and one thing. If you've, you've never listened to us talk about Ghibli films before, is that Nora and I are subtitle snobs. <laughs> Yes, subs before dubs. Absolutely. If you, if I'm you gonna get that tattooed it, on me. Subs before yeah, dubs. Yeah, subs before dubs. So if you, if, oh, if you haven't seen it in the original Japanese with subtitles, have you really seen it? Because can we let me throw down some facts? So there are two English dub versions there because. Are. The British and the American one, because we totally wouldn't understand. <laughs> I, yeah, I found that very strange, actually, that there are two, because I don't know if there are that many. There's something I should have researched, if there are that many that have both English and American, but I don't think so. We, we could try and make a list of the ones we're doing yeah. and see if they do. So, but also to, to show how crap 
these people are subtitling and specifically disney because disney did the american one and then it was a different distributor who did the british one and that one's meant to be better the british one yeah so in the american one it features an extra narrated dialogue at the end of the film that is not in the japanese or british english version presumably to end the film on a more optimistic note and it's a and i know and it it's like the dialogue I didn't get the quote of it but it's about it's him talking about how he never saw her again and you're kidding that's, that's I mean, so disappointing I, I, I always feel like I don't know we've talked about this before that yeah. there are points in in many of the Ghibli films where they change the story in the American dub so that it's almost wildly different I mean, we talked about this with Porco Rosso. Yeah. Uh, the character just comes across in a completely different way. And in Spirited mm-hmm. Away, there's a point where the story is changed slightly. Yeah. To make it, like, to almost dumb it down a little bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're, obviously, they're, they know their audiences. So maybe that works for them. But I, I just, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> And one thing that, you know, the Japanese just have it better than us. When they were promoting this film, they had the uh, set designer, Yoho Taneda, who worked on Kill Bill and like a bunch of other stuff, create a a life-size diorama of the sort of main living spaces of the the borrower's home. And the studio... Oh, there are photos crazy. on there's photos oh. online so they've made an exhibition of this and then also studio ghibli created a scale replica of the dollhouse <gasps> no really okay. <laughs> um the dollhouse in the film so they made a and i was like oh what a great way to promote a movie coming out that's amazing that's so cool so the thing as well with the um the sets in and I, the more I kind of looked into this, the more it made sense, is that that particular director, Yono Bayashi, is that how I was saying it? Yeah, Yono Bayashi. <laughs> he, he does, his, his backgrounds are always way more detail, detailed than other, yeah. like, Ghibli films. They're really, really textured and, um, and just have, like, tons in them. So I think it's the same in um, Mary and the Witch's Flower and in Marnie Was There. It's just, like... There's, it just looks like, you know, there's just, uh, it looks like a proper room. There's you can like kind of reach in and like grab yeah, things exactly. from the screen. It's almost like a photo in that there's so much in it. Yeah. And then, and that's kind of like what he's, if you compare the, his films to the other ones, they just mm-hmm. don't have the same amount of detail. But you do, like like you say, you feel like you can walk into them. Um, so I cannot imagine what a life-size version and i think he did the film in like two years as well which yeah, is yeah, yeah. insane for an animated film lately i mean there's a lot that comes out of ghibli that you're just like how on earth <laughs> i'm pretty sure they kill their uh staff young <laughs> <laughs> they have to go and sit down for a very long time afterwards i know there is like a lot of gossip about like how animators always prematurely age because the sort of uh the uh, how much work they have to do at I mean, such a high pace is must be insane. I've I've dabbled, really, really dabbled, very, very tiny, tiny dabble in doing animation myself. 
like drawing animation and stop yeah. motion animation and it is so time heavy it's soul destroying like mm-hmm. you need to love it in order to put that amount of time and effort into something yeah but uh, that's why it's so incredible because you know like th- these films aren't short films mm-hmm. in any way uh Arietti is what like how long is it an hour no two hour and a half no it's hour 30 it's I think hour and yeah. 37 minutes or something like yeah. that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean every second counts when you're talking about animation yeah exactly and that's a lot um, yeah. And there's a lot that goes on. It, you know, it's not simple animation, the way they move, the way that things in it move. Um, and in particular, this film is the gadgets in this film and the so way beautiful. that stuff works is breathtaking. Like everything yeah. moves like it's supposed to move. Um, it is like watching something, you know, it's like watching live action. But also, mm-hmm. like in terms of st- stuff like when they... Um, like pour liquids because they're so small it acts in a different way like it mm-hmm. almost seems like syrup when they're yeah. just pour a cup of tea and it's taking longer they're just the the droplet yeah, coming yeah. out of the tea the way that like water works the way that yeah. the air works and the leaf and stuff like that are all just the, the yeah the the way they've observed stuff and then brought it to life is just incredible so even if it was a bad film which it isn't just seeing <laughs> The way that it all moves is just incredible. That's like Ghibli for you, though. Yeah. So let's start talking. Let's get into the film. What happens? So this film, like all the other adaptations, sort of takes place in slightly different areas. This is outside Tokyo in the countryside. And we open on this young boy who's he's driving to go stay with his aunt in the country. Yeah. And arrives at the most amazing cottage, obviously. Lovely. Uh, If you know talking about cottage core fantasy <laughs> this is it right here <laughs> and he sees this of course cat it can't be a ghibli film without a cat he's, he's like you can see he's hunting something in the bushes and then out of nowhere the cat gets attacked by this ginormous crow and i'm just like what is happening <laughs> i mean as both cat owners i've never seen a bird attack a cat no, I don't think I have. I mean, I'm, I assume it happens if a bird is defending its young or something. I've heard yeah. angry birds in trees telling cats off. But it is, it's quite, in terms of the coziness, it's quite dramatic. Yeah, it was quite shocking when that <laughs> happened. And, well, actually, think about it. If the crow was probably attacking the cat because the cat was trying to hunt Arietti and the crow oh, probably I, wanted yeah. Arietti. I felt so. like... At the, to begin with, I felt like the crow was trying to protect, like maybe Arietti and the crow were friends because it seemed to be defending her. No, they were not. But, exactly. But then later on, but yeah, so it, it you kind of suddenly, there's a lot of relationships going on that you're like, what yeah. is What's happening? <laughs> so he can manages to catch a glimpse of Arietti running away from this situation yeah. in the butchers. Exactly. So, so we straight off, he sees her straight off as soon yeah. as he arrives. Yeah, so there's no there's fussing about. Of, yeah, there's none of the slow build up in the book. It, yeah. yeah, it's just straight away. Oh, okay, hi. <laughs> <laughs> we 
we've we switched to her perspective because I do find it interesting that in the yeah. movies sometimes it's a little more focused on the humans than the actual borrowers yeah. and it's like how they're viewing it versus yeah. how the borrowers are living so you're with her and she's you know she's running underneath the house and I loved like so oh, she's she's running away from the cats but then the crickets that are running along with her yeah uh, I, and seeing them bouncing and trying to like bat at her I just yeah. oh, it's lovely so it's like it's such a thrill to see and it's like the wild horses like running alongside her yes and you get <laughs> sense of scale straight away yeah um and the music's lovely as well at that point. Oh, oh yeah so cecile cecile corbell is the composer and this was her first film that she composed she's a yeah. french musician and also it's the first time that they've ever used uh someone who isn't japanese to do music yeah. for a ghibli film as well so i mean this it's Arietti was a lot of firsts for the yeah. studio. It's it's like they were just like, let's just take all the risks. Yes, um, and it's it worked. quite nice. Yeah, yeah. No, the music I would recommend. Beautiful. I think the album won some awards as well. Yeah, so. and uh, Arietti's song is all over the place. If you look on yeah. YouTube, there's a thousand versions of people doing their own versions. Really? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. <laughs> so, and then right away we get some bedroom porn right there just like the <laughs> fantasy bedroom of her with all the sort of greenery it's it's very like Howl's moving castle bedroom it, like you could tell is. he worked on that movie yeah exactly i like i immediately wanted to redecorate my room when i saw yes. that room because it is giant flowers and leaves and you know there's so much color in there and then a yeah. big cozy bed um mm -hmm. it is ran full of stuff yeah um, it's i mean it's brilliant and it's I think this shot as well makes me realize what attracts him to this story because yeah. Ghibli's all about the little things, the minute Absolutely. things. And yeah. this is what this book is about. So all the exactly. details, you can yeah. get into that really. Exactly. And, it, and in terms of like the light, I think you, you get your, cause in the book, it is very much like she's shut in and it's very dark and shadowy and she's creeping mm -hmm. around. But in, the, in this film, yeah. the light in every scene it's really well lit this kind of like this green sunlit glow that kind of rushes in from all sides mm -hmm. so she's she's also like she's she's outside straight away in yeah. and that's not how the book goes so there's a, yeah. a whole different feel to this feels mm -hmm. much lighter much more like, so yeah it definitely just from that you suddenly you're in a whole different mood I think mm -hmm. when you walk into her bedroom, it's much more joyful. Yeah, life definitely. of being a borrower. Exactly, and and much more. Um, she's if she's got stuff from outside as well. That's she's much more in touch with the world than Arietti is. Isn't she a bit older as well? I want to say she's a little bit older. I don't. I don't know if they say how old she is. In the she film. seems a bit older, but she does. Oh. Yeah, and she's very confident and bright and self-assured yeah. and knows how the outside works yeah so she's not the same arietti as the book straight no. i mean she still hasn't seen she hasn't been in the house but she does yeah. go outside but she's been outside yeah so and she hasn't she's kind of shut in claustrophobia at all yeah so she gets back and her mom is like the similar kind of uh 
high, like high emotions running. Like she's like, you know, and she scolds her for going out to get things. And she's very, you know, a little bit screechy sometimes. (laughs) Screechy, yeah, exactly. And then the dad arrives and he's like the most, he's like the like the silent type. (laughs) He's the polar opposite of the mom. Um, Yeah. He, I think he probably only has like maybe five sentences in the whole film. Yes. All he does is grunt and mm, mm. and you know like look very calm and sour. It again completely different from the book where he's very yeah. chatty and wants to show the world. He so is a very um, a, a strong silent type, I would yes. say. <laughs> so they he they decide so she, she's going to go on her first borrowing mission because she needs to learn how to you know in the, in the again. But the mom is like pro her borrowing. But she well. she's the one who the mum's kind of a little bit more reluctant in the book the mum is yeah. the one who decides she should whereas mm-hmm. in this one the mum kind of has to be talked into it and I, I thought that was a very interesting choice as well because Ghibli's more about strong women and women empowering other women whereas yeah. in this one Homily is a little bit like uh, yeah you know, should should she she is a very bland character, I think, Homily, in the yeah, film. Yeah. Well, the, both the parents aren't, there's not a lot of focus on them. As... No. But they definitely took a lot away from Homily in the yeah. in the Ghibli version, which is, a, I think it's a real shame because I, I really liked Homily in the books. I think mm-hmm. she was, she was definitely someone that I, I found less <laughs> annoying. Homily is a yes. little bit annoying in this. Bless her heart. I love her. But, yeah. yeah. She, she's, kind of constantly screaming in this movie yeah, yeah she is. so they are going to go on their first you know night out mission and they traverse the underbelly of the house and they arrive to the kitchen and right away the camera shot of the perspective change oh, i thought was ingenious sort of pulling away and you see the scale of her against the kitchen was yeah. great and how she would have felt just seeing yeah. these huge things yeah. you really get a feel for it's like she's on the edge of a canyon and yeah. there's a big drop and then what's lovely about it as well is the sound changes oh yes so that's the other thing so you yeah. can hear the sounds in the background are the sounds that she hears when she's inside from her, there yeah from her point of, of view. the kitchen so, yeah. yeah so you can hear like the tap dripping it's all very echoey and it is it's like you walked into a huge cave mm-hmm. um and it really it adds to the atmosphere so much and yeah like you say that pulling back the the sense of space is yeah it flips your stomach you're worried mm-hmm. they're standing on the edge yeah you know, it's yeah so they get some sugar for her mom from the kitchen and they go upstairs and they go in the glorious doll's house. Oh my God. <laughs> the decadence of it all. It's so fancy. It's got like a little, it's tiny little stag head. Yes. Stuffed stag head on the wall and stuff. It is proper fancy. I, it's definitely the fanciest dollhouse. The book's yeah. dollhouse I don't think is as fancy nor the, <laughs> of the other movies. And... So they're grabbing some tissue and then there's this like pause and I love like her, the boys laying in bed, sort of just looking adrift and like her just slowly hiding under the tissue. And cause it, you know, <laughs> like with any studio Ghibli films, it's like 
less is more. So there's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah. It's all about the expressions between the characters. Any, any, they don't talk at all. It's all hand no. signals. When mm-hmm. they like when they first get out, he's he kind of explains by signing up and down and stuff. Yeah. Even when um, because he's like he becomes a superhero when they're out in the world. He's like mm-hmm. doing all these climbs and stuff, and she's just yeah. like, ah, oh, my dad is so cool. Exactly, <laughs> she is in awe of him, but. They, yeah, there isn't, there's barely any dialogue. It's all just like, they're trying to be as quiet as possible, so it makes sense. And there's no music in that oh. first little bit as well. It's just the crickets in the background and that kind of noise. Um, but the yeah, noises. Exactly. So, and at that point, they are like, they're just getting stuff done and then everything freezes in that moment. Yeah. And it's, it's great. Just lovely. You feel exactly like, oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> and what cool. sort of what is he gonna do? So they, the dad, like, he completely takes control of the situation, and they yeah. like slowly back away. And the boy says, "Don't be afraid. I saw you." And they walk away. And the dad, he doesn't say anything. And then he yeah. says, "And this is very different from the book." He says, "Observe first, then decide." So we have to so- see how he reacts before we figure out what we want to do about it. And I thought, again, I thought that was really, it, it kind of like tiny little bit leans into the thing in the books where he's friends with Aunt Sophie and yeah. is that he kind of says they might not all be bad. That little yeah. paragraph that I read where, you know, like he says, well, they're mostly bad, but, but some of them, you know, mm-hmm. so he says that, but then that goes out the window after that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just for a minute but- there. Yeah, well, you know, it might not be all bad. That's what he's implying. So he lies to the mom, and they say that like nothing yes. happened. And so the next day, show who's the name of the boy? He because she, name. I know he has a name. <laughs> so he he drops off. So she had like dropped the sugar cube that they meant to take with them. Oh, and that, I, yeah, heartbreak when she dropped that sugar cube. And so did hers. She's so heartbroken by it. Yeah. And and because she feels like a failure, like she messed up. And he leaves the sugar cube in a note by the air vents. Yeah. And I I feel like she's much less reckless than in the books. Like she does it. She's like, I'm not touching this. I don't know what to do. And then she goes to her parents and asks them. Yeah. And what I think is lovely as well is that after she gets back, when she has dropped the sugar cube, there's this little scene where she's basically just lying in bed crying yeah. because she's so upset that her first thing that she was so excited about has gone horribly wrong. Like mm-hmm. she's she's very emotional in this. I'd say way more emotional than she is in the in the book. Yeah. She's definitely got a lot going on. I mean, it, it feels like she's more of a rounded character in this. Mm-hmm. Like she's That's really true. sad that she's let her parents down, and um, and you really feel it. A lot and yeah like you say when she sees that sugar cube rather than just going woohoo this is amazing yeah. she actually goes to pick it up and look at it and then she says ah no i'm gonna nope. be sensible about this which is yeah. very grown up of you Arietti. well done yeah no because i always like in the book i got she was a little bit like carefree yes. and just yeah, yeah yeah well she but in the books so, so the interesting difference here i think is that in the books she'd never been like outside mm-hmm. so she was desperate to get out whereas I feel like the film Arietti has more of a sense of the danger in the world 
yeah. she feels like she's got a bit more experience, I suppose, um, yeah. and, and isn't as desperate. She's got her freedom in this. She just wants to. She wants to work. Mm-hmm. So she has. She's a little bit more savvy. Um, yeah. So she does. She goes and says, "What shall I do about this?" Yeah, and she confesses to her mother what happened, and her mother is not happy about it. So, um, (laughs) and this this is when so they say just leave it alone, ignore it. You know, hopefully he forgets about us and doesn't do anything. And so she decides she, you know, she's upset about this that he would have the gall to do this. You know, kind of interfere in their lives. So she sneaks up to Show's bedroom with the sugar cube to be like take it back and leave us Go alone yeah. no way I'm interested in being your your friend thank you very much and they're kind of you know slowly bonding a little bit and then this crow barges through the the window yeah, it's screen crazy. <laughs> it's quite intense and tries to attack her and gets stuck in the window but if, so when she's climbing up she when she climbs up to his window she's very yeah. fearless like she's just like this is fine nothing can hurt me yeah. and then when the crow turns up you're just like is the crow going for her like what's going yeah. on I, it is yeah it definitely like <laughs> i wasn't expecting it at all i've seen mm-hmm. this film and i've completely forgotten about the crazy crow <laughs> It flies into the window and <laughs> yes. stuck. And it's and, chaos. Yeah, Haru, who's she's the housekeeper character. Yes. She's the Mrs. Diver <laughs> of Yeah. She she comes in and he like hides Arietti and he's managed to save her and he she gets the bird out and then Arietti runs away. So I, so I feel like this is a real precursor for what a lunatic Haru is in this. <laughs> Is that she hits the crow in the face with her shoe? Oh my god! And it yeah, falls out of the window, and she's she's pretty violent with it. To be perfectly honest, yeah, she's not trying to humanely get rid of it. She's worried uh, about the crow. I was like, is it okay? <laughs> but also, what I loved was before the crow turns up, there's a little bit where they're having a chat with each other, <clears throat> and Ariety's going to go. She's like, leave us alone. And then he basically says that he hasn't got any friends there. Yeah. She's and so she sad. feels sorry for him. And that's why she stays. Mm-hmm. So there's just a moment where they realize that neither of them have got any friends. Yeah. So even though she doesn't really trust him, I mean, she has to trust him. He just saved her life. Yeah. But he definitely feels sorry for him at that mm-hmm. point. And then the crow just makes things, it like pushes <sighs> things straight away. He's picking her up. And hiding her dodgy. Oh, she gets caught though. So yeah. Papa is not very happy, and he catches her coming back from going out because she, because she, she like tries to justify to him, you know, trying to mend things and fix it. Yeah. Wanted to do something. He was, and then he's like, "We have to leave. Like this is, we yeah. can't control this Even situation though anymore." To serve and then decides. Now he's like, "No humans. I'm yes. done." <laughs> Um, well, I think the, he is not the dad of the book in the sense that, like, her trying to have actual conversations with them yeah. is not acceptable. Yeah. Like, you can't have that type of relationship. Yeah, and and it's already kind of established that they don't trust boys mm-hmm. because they're, you know, like they're too anything. chaotic. <laughs> exactly, exactly. They're just bumbling around in the world, messing stuff up. So, so I, makes sense. Yeah, uh, a package arrives. And 
Haru, the housekeeper, she's chatting with the delivery guy and she's like, I need a name for pest control because I think there's something strange (laughs) going on. And I'm sort of, I don't really get where her thought process came from, like where she jumped to this conclusion because there was never anything I think really before that like showed her being suspicious. No, I mean, they talk about it around the table, don't they? They're having like dinner. I thought that was, that was, later that's after this this is after yeah it's after that scene like she she's immediately suspicious yeah so yeah even like in the incident with the crow she is she's looking at him a little bit like what's been going on in here why would a crow do this yeah she's already just generally suspicious this is though then after that you have the dinner scene and you have his aunt who's not really around very much aunt sadako (laughs) And you get a little bit more of his backstory. So he has a weak heart and he's waiting to have a heart operation, which is very sad. And his parents are divorced and his mom was away traveling. So that's why he was staying with his aunt. He's basically been abandoned by both his parents. Yeah. Before he's having a heart transplant. Wow. Insane. (laughs) Exactly. So, and then they talk about the dollhouse, which was his mother's and his grandfather had ordered it because the grandfather knew about these little people and he That's wanted the dollhouse for the little people exactly hooray so they and so it you know it's clear that the 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 is she an aunt or a grandmother aunt. She, she's the aunt yeah so she knows and she's all right with it like she, yeah she's quite happy to talk about it whereas mm-hmm. Karu's like <laughs> yes <laughs> and I think, and I don't think Aunt Sadako, if she was actually a little more involved in yeah. his life, if she found out about this, she wouldn't, you know, be yeah. trying to kill them. Yeah. So they go and look at the dollhouse and they're like looking in the rooms and stuff. And it's Beautiful. just so glorious. Ugh, I'm obsessed <laughs> with that. So he leaves um, a note and a flower for Arietti, which I don't think we actually ever read that note. No. We never know what it says. So Pod has returned injured from bar a bar. He was, well, he went exploring to try and find other places that they could Somewhere move. Yeah. And he twists his ankle and then he gets helped by Spiller. Now yeah. Spiller appears actually in the second book okay. of the bar uh, series. So he yeah. is an actual character. So, okay. yeah. so I'm assuming Miyazaki or whoever read further in the books to kind of pick up some of this yeah. stuff. And, you know, the silent type as he's kind of dressed <laughs> up as, I don't know, this, like caveman chic type of look. Yeah, he's, proper, he's proper outdoors. He's got twice <laughs> on and yeah, he doesn't, he's a man of few words, a boy of few yes. words, because he looks to be around the same age as Arietti. Yeah. And of course, there's a little bit of romance between them. They're just like, ooh, who's this person? <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> And she's never seen another borrower before. Yeah, so she doesn't think part. there are other borrowers. Yeah, so she and she doesn't. I don't think she's ever really talked to like thought about it before. So it's not like in the book where they're all, all yeah. Uncle Hendriary and stuff. It's just not been a thing up until that point. So she's yes. super shocked. She's like, "What is this?" I do and- like when Spiller leaves that he flies away like a flying yeah, squirrel. <laughs> So he gets up to the edge of the roof and then he just like flings his arms out like yes. a, yeah, like a flying squirrel. It's amazing. It's a really good exit. Like, wow. 
he knows how to live in the outside world clearly. Yes. So she's completely in awe of this and sort of well, like, oh, he, this looks... He takes like this leg of a cricket out and says yes. he's going <laughs> to... And the mom is like, no, thank you. Is exactly. Yeah, she's definitely not on board with eating insect legs. She's terrifying. She has a conversation with her dad and he talks to her about like, you know, there used to be two other families that lived here. One of them disappeared and then one of them moved away because, you know, once you're seen and they kind of humans get involved, it gets really dangerous. And while they're talking, there's this huge crash and then someone starts ripping up the floorboards. What jerk could that be? So, and then the mom's in the kitchen, like flipping out obviously if you're if your ceiling was coming off and then you don't know who it is because you're just looking at the perspective of down and you see this hand dropping down well they they take off the wall and then they replace it with the kitchen from the dollhouse and then they close it again and it's him giving them the dollhouse kitchen but i'm like what a jerk it is in so the the sound of it and the way that the 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 whole thing it's like an earthquake basically yeah and it's really loud and everything is just falling apart and it is you you immediately just think someone's gonna die because it is just so and then you kind of like think of it from his point of view he's literally just like popping his hand in there picking something up putting something else down but from their perspective it's like earth shaking yeah um, and it is done in in such a way that you just think oh, oh my god you can really see it from their point of view of just how devastating it is and how he's got no sense of how powerful he is and how much of a mess he's making he's trying to do something good he thinks he's doing something terribly kind yeah he's just messed up their whole house mm-hmm. little shit it's all all his fault as well like everything else that happens it's all that comes afterwards yep totally his fault because of him so he's quite sinister i have to say yeah he's a grim little kid i will say that from the first time that you see him he he doesn't talk much he doesn't have many facial expressions and in the in the japanese version at least he's very softly spoken as well and yeah. he, his eyes are just like constantly, he's very kind of, he says, I think at, at this point he kind of says, or or quite soon, he says, from the moment I saw you, I wanted to protect you. It's the st- most stalkerish. Yeah, <laughs> so creepy. So it, it's almost, and, and the destruction of the kitchen is a very good example. It's like he just, he just sees them as a thing. Mm-hmm. more than as people i mean again that's what we had in and that's where it, it definitely gels with the book very well yeah those scenes are very similar mm-hmm. in that he's just he thinks they're like fairy like magical things he's not thinking i've just pulled yeah. a wall out of someone's house and moved it somewhere where they're never going to be able to move it back <laughs> he is definitely very destructive but he's he is proper sinister and even earlier on when he said about oh, you're all going to, you know, like you'll die at some point or another. That, you know, is in the books. He, that seems the thing comes across. He's a different boy completely from the books, I feel, because he seems older. And in this, he's... He's, he's had a harder, I don't know, his harder yeah, life. Harder time. But he, there's definitely that side of 
he's more important than they are and they're more of a plaything for him comes across I disagree with you about him being completely different from the book you think i i mean i think in the because book because coming up the conversation about like them yeah. going extinct and stuff that's from the book yeah it is but i think in this he's much more um it, it, he's weirdly more detached i feel like in the books he is to me like a 10 year old boy who's just like yeah this is how things are and this is mm -hmm. how i'm learning in the world and i'm i'm a powerful human and you know like kind of testing his boundaries all the time whereas in this i feel like he's just a bit detached from everything he's definitely not as energetic because he's got the heart problem in this yeah you're like he's he almost feels more like kind of ghost but he's meant to be ill in the book as well he's six yeah but not definitely not as ill i think he's I recovering th from something i do think he this is the closest to the books having watched the other films yes yeah yeah no i, I agree having this I very somber child who's a little bit you know he's bratty at the beginning and then kind of realizes that it's not just about him yeah i mean i think the difference for me is that in the books he's recovering from mm -hmm. something so he's been ill whereas in this he's getting iller and iller until he gets yeah. his heart operation so he feels and he doesn't even think that will do anything he thinks he's yeah, gonna die weak in the books even yeah. though he's super strong to them and he's stick thin in the film as well they draw him very like kind of wasting away and when he runs you can really hear him breathe and stuff as well mm -hmm. so i feel like in the in the books he definitely feels a bit more like he's recovering and getting stronger and stronger whereas in yeah. this he's he's just so detached it's so weird i don't know how that comes across in the dubs but he feels okay. very in this as well so, so well and it, i think it's also because i think when they were having in the dinner table conversation the aunt was saying like excitement is not good for you yeah, like yeah, don't yeah. do any like yeah. you, you're not allowed to have emotions yeah. because yeah. that is what's going to kill you yeah. so he's kept very kind of muted i think yeah um in this and he he definitely comes across as very broken mm -hmm. and i get the sense that she makes him feel stronger because she's so tiny like he suddenly yeah. feels like he can do something for someone when yeah. he's just been lying around on pillows the whole time or in the garden yeah. with a cat which is the dream <laughs> so unfortunately he's not very detail orientated because yeah. haru finds a dropped pot from the dollhouse oh. and immediately as she's so suspicious <laughs> about everything is like ooh, something's happening and she yeah. opens the um uh well okay so there's like two things happening at the so Arietti goes and visits him and she like calls him out like this is unacceptable yeah. behavior yeah. you know what you're doing to our life and the chaos you're starting and you know he's trying to say oh your species is gonna go extinct because yeah. there's yeah. not a lot of you <laughs> and I, but she, you know she puts him in his place though and yeah, he apologizes and it, it is a really nice scene as well and it's so it switches around because that scene happens much earlier yeah in the books whereas this takes a little while to get to but um, he's lying in the middle of this meadow of flowers. Yeah, with the cat. With the cat on his tummy. And it is the most, I was, it's the most peaceful, lovely scene. I yeah. was just like, this is how I, I want to live in that scene. It's beautiful to look at from a distance. Like you said, it's very like I idyllic. And then she pops up and she just starts telling him off. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. great. She, oh, I she loved it. I was very rightfully tells him off as well. Whereas in the books, they immediately clash before they even know anything about each other. 
this is after he's messed their house up. So she has every right to be completely angry at him. But then they have the same conversation that they have in the books. Yeah. About, yeah, that whole... Very sinister. <laughs> very, very dark. So... But again, he's an idiot, and he left the crowbar out yeah. that he used to like lift the floorboards. And so Haru discovers the hiding place, obviously. And the poor mother, she just gets the bad end of the stick. Yeah. She's in the kitchen again. And Haru manages to catch her. And I feel so oh, horrible. horrible scene. As much as I'm a bit annoyed by Homily in this, it's horrible when she grabs her. Yeah, this is really. I was like, oh my, I was like, oh no, leave her alone. And the she puts the mum in the jar, and at first I was like, she needs to breathe, so she like pokes holes in the top of it of the jar for her. She doesn't need to. It's like she wants to keep her to show other people. Yeah, to prove that she was right. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. She needs to because everyone's kind of going a bit strange. I think she's like, I need to show people. But Homily is heartbreaking. Yeah. Like when she's she's pounding against the glass and then she kind of collapses and you really feel for her. It is, I mean, it's terrifying. But yeah, um, but yeah totally heartbreaking. And you're just like, no, what's going to happen now? Because this doesn't happen in books. It's lost. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, they never get like caught, caught this way. No. So the, and also Haru has like, thought about it and she yeah. locks um show in his room yeah because she doesn't want him interfering and Ariadne had come home and found her missing and knew something yeah. was up so she goes upstairs to get him and while this is happening Haru's calling the pest control and wants them to trap the the borrowers but then show and Ariadne realize they can't get out of his room because it's locked so they have to climb out the window and she uses like these earrings to climb up the curtains, oh, which I, I just. What I love about that moment as well is that he's been the person who, you know, oh, I'm going to protect you, et cetera, et cetera. And in that moment, he sees how strong she is. Yeah. And it, it just blows his mind. He's like, literally, like, oh my God, she's amazing. He's in awe. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're leveled. At that point, they become a team. Whereas mm-hmm. before, he's just been. And like I'm gonna, I'm gonna sinister. I'm gonna be very sinister and protect you. Now he realizes yeah. actually they're, you know, they've both got their strengths. So it's kind of yes. lovely. So they manage to eventually get to the kitchen. And also, can I just notate the detail of they have a smeg fridge? Yeah, they do. I noticed that as well. I was, I like, was just like fancy. <laughs> I, I like that he thought about enough to put that in the yeah. movie, the it's branding the of the fridge. <laughs> well, like, one, I wonder if they were sponsored by Smeg. I don't know if that happens. In <laughs> I've never thought about it before. It's the first time I've ever noticed a brand name in a yeah. studio film. Yeah. But also, I thought, well, they must have money then, because those yeah. fridges are expensive. I, they are. They're beautiful, but yes. <laughs> so he manages to well Haru comes in the kitchen and sees him and he, he figures out that the mom's in the pantry so he lets Ariadne to kind of go sneak off to rescue her 
and he's clearly like in pain and i kept being like is he about to collapse and die what's because he's like breathing heavily and at one point and i i I wrote in my notes please don't die i know i wrote the same thing gonna burst (laughs) yes because he's like running around and climbing things i was like this is not good for your health (laughs) what i love and this is like it's the case in all ghibli films as well is that there's still this respect for even though he's running and there's a big panic and everything he stops to take his shoes off before he comes inside Mm. even though he's like trying to save everything it's still like i'm still gonna be respectful here it's like those little lessons of you still need to be keeping your house clean well done but yeah he i did think he was gonna collapse and die that would have been a very different film (laughs) really would have so she manages to find her mom in the pantry and rescue her and the pest control has arrived so the aunt finally comes back home i don't know where she's been all this time is she yeah why is she not at home oblivious to all this stuff going down in her house like what does she do for a living (laughs) what's going on with you auntie so yeah she's not any better than the mother who's abandoned him Exactly. No one's looking at what anyone's up to, quite frankly. So Haru tries to show the ant the the borrowers, but uh, Sho already had the foresight to destroy the kit. You know the their yeah. kitchen under the 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 floorboards, which was I was very happy about. And he put the yeah. dollhouse kitchen back, so everything's back in order. Basically, Haru just looks like she's completely nuts. Nuts. And she's so mad. She's so mad. Yeah, she's suddenly, like, at this from this point on, she becomes more and more cartoonish. Yeah. She's like, she can't believe that she can't show anyone what happened. Obviously, mm-hmm. she gets the jam jar and she's like, no! no! And she's, like, having a tantrum in the room. <laughs> yeah, she definitely so- gets more caricature as the film goes on, I think. And... Show and his aunt kind of have a conversation about it, and he's like, "Yeah, oh, I thought I I would love to be able to see them." And the yeah. aunt is sort of like kind of admits that he saw them, and then he second guesses himself, and he's like, "Oh, if I saw them, yeah, then you know." And then she's like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> so they're on the so, same team. We realize yes, exactly. And he should have said something to his aunt in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And now we have the borrowers in the wild yes so they're outside and she sees the cat with it with its like glowing eyes oh, you know coming out the bushes honestly see when they were outside I, like i know they're trying to make it like as scary as possible like a raccoon walks past yeah it's oh yeah i forgot terrifying. about that it's totally terrifying in the same way it's got the glowy eyes but mm. it's it's like trying to kind of show us that there's danger in the outside world that yeah. raccoon is is horrifying <laughs> it's just like ah! and then the cat with the glowing eyes as well you think the cat was trying to eat her earlier on yeah the show was holding it back so you just immediately assume it's gonna give it another go I just flash back to maybe having read something that the rec oh the raccoon is from palm poco Ah, yes so that's a reference to that i remember reading something about the raccoon i love an easter egg yes Uh, a ghibli (laughs) is the king of easter eggs i love it absolutely so the cat and them have sort of like a 
bonding her and they have like a bonding moment like the cat's like i'm not gonna eat you <laughs> and it's really it's like he he um his eyes change and he has yeah. like a grudging respect for her yes and also she's like she's so brave there's mm. no point where she's just completely freaked out she's like yeah standing in front of this big old thing that was trying to eat her and she's yeah she totally stands up to it it is like a lovely moment um so more so then, well, then <laughs> the cat goes to the boy and tries and leads, is trying to lead him back to Arietti. Yes, exactly. What cat would ever do this? None. <laughs> so Arietti and her family, they're, gonna, they're going in this teapot boat with Spiller. Oh, it's cute. It's so, so cute. cute. And then he's running and I'm like, stop running. You're going to die. Again, I wrote his heart's gonna pop. <laughs> Hear his heart beating and impan- yeah, it's like his panting, brain breathing. And he's so skinny. I'm just like, don't do it, man. Too much excitement. <laughs> so, because I kind of, I think I would have been okay with them not seeing each other again, like in the book. Yeah, like in the book. But yeah, so already, and show get to see each other for one last time. He manages to catch them, and that is and lovely seeing that because yeah. she. She's on the fence mm-hmm. and then she climbs up to the top of the fence. So they're almost the same height, which mm-hmm. I just think is so nice. Like yeah. it's, it just ties those little ends off. I love a scene that just goes, there you go. That's what you wanted. So Spiller also is like watching them talking and he's like, oh, he really? almost but- shoots him with his yeah, bow in the air. You're jealous, aren't you, Spiller? He is. He is jealous. He does a a bow and arrow pull, doesn't he? And then he's like, nah, I think he's all right. He's quite a muscular little guy. He's got guns. Yes. (laughs) So they have their little, like, bonding goodbye moment. And he's like... Takes a little cow. I know. And and he's like, you'll always be a part of my life. And he gives her this sugar cube and she gives him her hair clip. Yeah. And he says to her, you give me the courage to live. Yes. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) Also, Arietti reaches out and touches the cat's nose. (laughs) That's like, oh, I I may need a heart transplant after this. Yes. Because that got me. I was just like, it's so sweet. And the cat's eyes roll back like, ah. <laughs> that is a happy cat. But yeah, it's super sweet. And that's pretty much the movie. You watch them for a bit. Like the end credits is them yeah. going down the river in the teapot, um, which is quite and you've nice. you've got like the, the sunrise, kind of the sun coming up. And it's, it's mm. like the first moment of her being out in the in the real world. Yeah. Um, and I suppose... Like she's not a borrower anymore because they're going to be mm. making they're... their own things. Yeah. I, I there and... was one point like just uh, before all of it happened where they were sitting down around a little fire, and they were eating cheese on toast, and it looked so good. I got up and made myself cheese on toast after I watched this you film. You did? Ooh, yeah. no, I want cheese so, on toast. Honestly, I'll do that after in, this. The food in Studio Ghibli films is so That's good. So nice. I was inspired by the cheese. I assume it was cheese on toast. Hard to tell when it's that small. Yeah, that tiny. I'm not sure what they were using. <laughs> Just, yes, there are a lot of like shots of food making in this movie that make you quite hungry. <laughs> oh, There's a good soup at one point as well. And then yeah. I saw on YouTube somebody's been making all of the food from Studio Ghibli stuff. So 
I was quite tempted by that. I was like, oh. You know there was a Studio Ghibli cookbook? Really? But I don't think it's available in, I saw it advertised somewhere, but, and then I was like pissed off because, oh, it's French. It's like a French publisher who's doing okay. it. Uh, cookbook, um, like with the recipes for, you know, oh, what. I'd love to make the food from, because it all looks so lovely. Yeah. See if I can find it. I'll send you the link to it because it looks. It, I mean, because we, we both know enough French that it would be. Oh, yeah. Les recettes du film du studio Ghibli. <laughs> I mean. Okay. So it looks super cute. What a good idea. I mean. I mean, every, <laughs> every studio Ghibli film has such good food. Even like, so there's the bit at the end where Spiller is, he gives her a raspberry. Yeah. Oh, yes. I want a raspberry. <laughs> look at her when he's doing it. So he, he, he carries on looking forward, but he puts his hand out to the one side and then she takes it and you're like, oh, they're going to be friends. I think they're trying to establish there that, you know, she's got more family now, which is. Yes, nice. exactly. There's more borrows. What, and what does he say? Because she asked him, like, how many other borrows have you seen? And what does he, he does, it does this like weird hand symbol. He can't count really. He counts on his fingers and then he says yeah. three. But yeah. then you don't know if he's counted like more than three on his hand, yeah. so who knows. I'm not really but sure. But but the fact that the dad managed to run into him does mean that there are others close by. Yeah, so. exactly. And it's a much more hopeful, ties everything up ending than the book where the you're book, like, yes. I don't know what happened there. Well, um, I, I mean, the book, there's more books, so you do find yeah. out. Whereas I, this film was definitely not intended, I don't think, to be in heaven's sequels no, or anything. I, yeah, I feel like they, they definitely say, I mean, it's like, and and they all lived happily ever after at some point yeah. or another, things will be okay. <laughs> I mean, the door is open, obviously, for them to, to have more, but it doesn't need more. Whereas in the book, you're like, oh, but what happened? Did mm -hmm. it really happen? Et cetera, et cetera. But I... I mean, it's it's a lovely film. It is. Finding, it's just nice. I'm finding with this series that we're doing that every time I'm watching a Studio Ghibli film, no matter if I've seen it a few times before or just like once or twice, I totally fall in love with it again. Yeah. Because like you're especially having read the book, mm -hmm. so you're looking for the differences. So I guess you're paying more attention to it as well. But they're just they're always so delightful to return to. And, and you can tell that they're working hard to honor the text, which yeah. is the problem I have found with doing this series. That a lot of yeah. times people don't care about the source material. Yeah, I think this is, I mean, we already know from being fans of Studio Ghibli that they're always going to be respectful of, you know, like their own arts. So it makes mm -hmm. sense that their source material is always going to be something that they really care about. I mean, 40 years of thinking I think we should make this film that's yeah. a lot of planning and caring mm -hmm. and then you know they obviously they're gonna they come out it was such a successful film I think scrolling back through my facts um 145 million so at the time of uh, in 2012 this was it was the fourth highest grossing anime in the US and the highest one that wasn't based on a game so <laughs> I know. I don't. I, I have no That's idea. That's a weird are, statistic, but, but yeah, that means that it did better than Ponyo, and Ponyo did amazingly well. Yeah. So it was. I think 
people possibly. love little people's stories. But also possibly because um, the borrower's book was so popular as well yeah. that people knew the story already. Or at least even if they didn't know the story, they knew what it was about. It was about yeah. tiny people in a big world. But that's impressive for a, a Ghibli film, let alone, I, you know. I would love to know what his library of books and things that he wants his wants to adapt like what what is his reading list I want to know what he reads and what he's into absolutely and there's a lot of it's funny because a lot of the books that I love like I've I've read um Hell's Moving Castle before when I was younger when I was younger is there a lot of very well-loved British kind of books Mm -hmm. as well um even Kiki's Delivery Service even though it's not British it still has the same kind of feeling you know, that yeah. crazy low fantasy. Well, I forgot, didn't she travel though to Europe quite a bit? Eco. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I remember. There was something about her working in Europe, so it being influenced by that. Yeah, and definitely there's definitely a feel to the ones that he picks that mm-hmm. have they all feel like they could sit on the same shelf in the yeah. same section. And they do. I mean, having worked in a bookshop, yeah, a lot of them exactly. do sit on the yeah. same shelf. And weirdly, because a lot of my book collection I own is YA, I have a lot of these books. So I'm looking at other books that I have and going, oh, he could totally make that. It totally fits in yeah. with, mm-hmm. you know, there's he, there's definitely something that sparks in him that you can pull all of those films together. They sit so nicely together. There's no yeah, massive huge drama i've managed to like i have uh, like a little shelf with the ones that we're gonna do eventually and yeah all of them you could kind of see them together they they have they fit in a certain genre that you see that that's what he feels kindred to it almost feels like you could uh get in a car outside of the house where arietti lives and drive Mm. a little way to where kiki is yeah and then in the background of that you'd see Hell's Moving Castle walking across in the mm-hmm. you know in the mountain range in the distance like they feel like part of the same universe it's kind of lovely yeah and I don't think that's just the fact that it's from the same studio there's definitely something that that you know like rings a bell in him resonates with him um that yeah makes it very jubilee indeed but they're, they're just all so lovely I'd absolutely live in any of the films that we've done so far <laughs> and i feel you know in this like you know we're asking the question is this a good adaptation and i yeah. really do think even though there are lots of changes to the setting and sort of what are the stakes in the story i yeah. think the heart of what the bar the charm of the borrowers yeah. is very much yeah. there yeah yeah, and the and the inventiveness, like in the books, that feeling of um, what if, you know, mm-hmm. what if you were really tiny? What if these were the things that you needed to use and to make a life? That is very strong in the books and very strong in the film as well. They feel like the same thing, even though the stories and the characters are are slightly different. They're they're the same at the heart of things, definitely. Like even there was a, a little scene with the mother who 
she i think the daughter's asking her like does she want some new pictures and the mother says no because she has like a postcard or something that's of the ocean and she has it done up so it looks like a window looking out into the ocean and she says it's because she's you know she's always dreamed maybe someday she'll be able to see the ocean and that's why she has that there as this like fake window (laughs) so lovely those little details though are just they make the characters so real and mm-hmm. you care about them immediately. Even, you know, Grumpy Dad, who hardly says anything yeah. in films, you you still, you know, you feel like he's such a superhero when he's doing all of his bits and pieces and yeah. he's doing it for his family. He's kept them afloat in a world where clearly other people haven't been able to survive. Mm-hmm. So you have grand respect for them, like, immediately. But Arietti is completely adorable from the get-go running along with the crickets and jumping off you know leaves and stuff is such a strong inspiring character um yeah really would cosplay her i was thinking she'd be amazing i her outfit is great from the movie i mean in the the book there isn't like a distinct look to her so you can kind of yeah and that's what i found interesting as well is that even though there's a lot of description in the book they don't really describe like the mechanisms to how they got around and you know things like having the nails as stairs and stuff like that. That was quite the cool. Imagination and detail and the way that things work in the Ghibli film is jaw-dropping. Just I mm-hmm. for them to be sat around a table storyboarding that. Oh, would have been great. They must have had so much fun kind of coming up with how the different contraptions worked yeah. and things like, like that. Like basically, them thinking, okay, so how would you get from this place to this place if you were really yeah. tiny? Which I'm assuming is, you know, that's where Mary Norton came from as well. Yeah. Because she was peering short-sightedly at things with her face very close up. She was doing the same thing. Okay, if I had to get onto this table and I were only... 13 inches high how would I but that's I mean that's the way that really good fiction works isn't it is you're answering questions in a imaginative way and Mm -hmm. that's it's always nice to find those answers like that that they are really inventive and creative and they're something that you never would have thought of I mean they look like they'd work if you put them together that's what I liked about them and I think about, like, I realized the film was made, you know, te- over 10 years ago now, yeah. but him talking about a film for a time where, you know, we're in a crisis, like we are now, 10 years later, and how, you know, people being a little more resourceful, um, yeah. getting out of the sort of consumerism of things, yeah. being a little more crafty uh, yeah. as a way to deal with these sort of really difficult situations. And also, obviously, the whole thing at the moment with everyone feels so far apart and there's lots of talk of, uh, you know, like racism, sexism and, you know, people being so different from yourself that you can't even begin to find common ground. And here you have two characters who are completely different from each other finding common ground. So, yeah, it, you know, it is a story for our like, time. Exactly. Or, or mm-hmm. timeless, really, because that's yeah. always going to be the case where if you, <laughs> as he says, sometimes you have to observe them <laughs> for a little bit to see then, where yeah. you stand. Is that's you know, it's a good motto for life, really. Yeah. Um, 
yeah it, it you definitely come away from it feeling more like you want to see the world in a completely different way yeah i mean point of view basically. yeah re reading the book and watching the film you're like i want to live in a tiny little you know, <laughs> book house and <laughs> have to you know craft out of like a you know a pen cap use that yeah. as like a tea kettle or something you know yeah it's lovely it definitely it it follows the imagination um, and that's why the the book is beloved for beyond the film and why people were excited to see the movie because it's like it just you know, yeah and and they absolutely nailed it it's the film is it's beautiful mm -hmm. it is a joy and and i think leans a lot more into how beautiful and joyful the world is yeah rather than how dangerous it is which i feel like in the book is more of a thing Mm -hmm. when she's creeping around then it does feel very claustrophobic and it's like don't make a noise don't draw attention to yourself whereas in this Arietti is like a little spark of of you know like sunlight she's she's just spinning around in her little dress in her room and you really do feel that kind of joy of the world coming across from her it's very close to nature isn't it yeah and like you say, it's it is about reusing and and thinking of things in a different way a different way yeah uh you know the thing that you know we're using it for you know this bit of string they, they'll think of a thousand different ways that the, they could use this every day where I only think of it as one way yeah yeah I encouraging like creativity and different view of things is is yeah. a lovely thing to come across and it's just such a nice story as well and it's not wildly dramatic it doesn't slap people in the face again no. ghibli is gen gently entertaining mm -hmm. um in a way that you don't feel like your heart will pop <laughs> <laughs> bless him i hope it all went all right i'm sure it did <laughs> oh for our our show yeah his heart operation if we're talking about dubs and stuff, so show yeah. is called show in the Japanese version. Isn't it Sean? Show in the English version, but in the American yeah. version. Of course. Of course. They could, God forbid, they have a name that doesn't sound like Anglo-Saxon. <laughs> also, I love that um, in the in the British dub, yeah. Tom Holland is show. Uh, yes, I know. In his cinematic debut, Aww. And if you if you have a look on YouTube, I don't know if you've watched it, but there's an interview with him mm -hmm. where it's his first, like, obviously his first set of interviews for a film that he's ever done. And his voice hasn't broken yet. He's so tiny. <laughs> so are we saying that he owes his career to Studio Ghibli? Well, he does, though. That's yeah. where he first got noticed. It's yeah. adorable. I, I highly recommend that everyone immediately okay. go to YouTube and Google Tom Holland's Arietti interview because he's just. Sweet. I wonder if he remembers because like, that's a long time he ago. Looks so young, yeah. it's crazy. That's really fun. I'm actually doing a, a Tom Holland uh, one uh, ah. at the end of the month. Cherry is his okay. new movie. Ah, uh, very dark, dark though. <laughs> All right. Should we do our rose and thorns of? The good and bad of both yeah. of them I, I find it really hard to do that i know but you gotta you know not everything is perfect <laughs> i love ghibli films so much <laughs> okay you can go first then oh uh -huh. 
um with with the book i suppose you know i love i i love the details it is yeah how they describe the minute and such a like making it so much more than we as big humans big people yeah. see them as and just make me kind of excited about things more so than I, that, like this piece of piece of string i'm so excited about yeah. this piece of string now <laughs> so the way that she sparks your imagination i think is really amazing but i suppose it is actually you know quite dark like how the humans yeah. behave <laughs> yeah so that i mean that's the only thing and it, you know that's the her perfectly legitimate choice to like you know talking about cramful and mrs driver and sort of yeah. this um it would have been nice to have a little more of a trying to understand each other moment yeah. of the humans yeah. but you know and the fact that they kind of just disappear which i think is quite a, a good uh sort of ending to get people reading other books but yeah so there's that and then with the film I just yeah he captures what the imagination of the books are and just obsessing over the little things and just making you like kind of want to enter into those tiny little okay. spaces and you're just like oh this is so amazing and delicious so I I think he really hit that spot on yeah. and uh, I would say that I kind of wanted a, a little bit more maybe out of the boy's character. Yeah, I agree. I, I just think he, you know, and I get it's a kid's film, so it's sort of yeah. like, it depends on the level of depth you really want to give to it. But I think having a little bit more about him and his personality. Well, I, I mean, but I do feel like I said earlier on that he, I think they purposefully make him subdued because of his and at the end right at the end he suddenly comes to life in that last scene yeah he, he has facial expression it's the first time he does even throughout all of the he's so low-key and muted yeah throughout it but you do actually know I'm gonna I'm gonna change my answer uh <laughs> I don't care about the boy having read like another one of the books and sort of watched other movies and stuff I could have done with a little more back history on the borrowers yeah, 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 yeah. and the borrowers culture because yeah. there's a lot of really cool stuff really and in the stuff. and in the book like talking about the overmantles yeah, yeah, and yeah, you know the, exactly. the yeah. rain pipes and stuff like that yeah. I that history of the borrowers I thought is yeah, really cool it's a big mystery and they don't address it they really don't say so no I mean the only scene is when he talks about like the two families but he barely describes them yeah yeah and you really don't know much about Spiller whereas like in the book they in the books they talk about like his yeah. you know why he lives outside and stuff like that so knowing about the different types of little people yeah it definitely there's, there's a big old gap there isn't there yeah but then no, I think like he does tend to do that and not explain things a lot. Leave gaps for people to fill. Yes. <laughs> okay, so okay, more your turn. <laughs> okay, so book. Um I I think with the books, in in the same way as you, I think like the just the imagination behind it is totally incredible. It, she really like puts you in the world. Like, not just in that you can see it, which is what, you know, most books do, but you can smell it, 
you can taste it it really does like come across as you know you you live in it and it does i think come across as quite claustrophobic and shadowy it's definitely a darker thing the book is definitely darker but i mm -hmm. kind of like love it for that um and that it is such a a big world so like you say with all the families and stuff like that that's a really nice thing because it gives you a whole different perspective on your own house yeah you immediately just think wow i'm seeing like you say a piece of string or you know like a a rubber band or something is something completely with a hundred million different uses so it's so inventive and the tone of it is so is so cozy and story-like you know it sounds like the kind of thing that you would want to be all cozy and listen to so I, I just love that it's not talking down to you it's letting you wander around in that world so I, I love that but uh, I'm trying to think of a bad thing to say about the book hard <laughs> I'm not in love with the fact that it was so confusing as to the narrators and stuff. Like okay. In the afterwards, in here, it says she said she knows it's confusing, but she thinks kids will get it. So I kind of feel like, oh, man, does this mean I'm a grown up now? But, but think about like playground storytelling. Like I yeah, heard from this like, person, I from this person. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like when so, you're a kid, that's how you like you gossip like that. Yeah. Though. And I, I do. I love the fact that she has like left gaps to fill. Yeah. But I just like as a as a beginning, I found that slightly confusing to start off mm -hmm. with. And for me, like the first line of books is super important to me. I often pick a book up and I'll read the first line. And if it doesn't really grab me, I'm not 100 percent in. <laughs> that's yeah. A terrible thing to say, but first lines are so important. So I was a bit thrown by that I did kind of think what and I had to read it through a couple of times and I was like okay I think I see where you're going um but I I loved it so in general it was it's just if I have to pick at something and you do make us do this every time because <laughs> <laughs> we um, have to think critically I'm, about I'm, these works exactly um and film um my rose would be the inventions oh mm -hmm. my god Every single little thing was just like, in particular, how they get up on that lift was yeah. super cool. But I also love that when Arietti found the pin, she immediately like used it as a sword. <laughs> and what I loved was that when she picked it up, you could feel the weight of it, like in her hands, the way she yeah. held, the way the noise that it made, were, was lovely. And I'm gonna have another rose because what the hell, the sound. <laughs> The soundtrack of the yes, is gorgeous. It really mm -hmm. is. It's not overbearing in any way, um, and it's interesting that it was the first time that they'd used someone who wasn't Japanese for it, and it still feels very Japanese. Yeah. Um, and on uh... thorn. <laughs> um. Yeah, I feel like it. Again, like you said, I think it would have been good to have some kind of more of a finding out about the other borrowers. I do. I think it they it did feel very isolated. But yeah. also, I would say uh, with um, Haru, is mm -hmm. that normally when there's someone bad in a Ghibli film, they give them a little bit of redemption or some yeah, kind. Yeah, she didn't get any. <laughs> She didn't get any, and they kind of like left her 
as just like a crazy person. And I feel that's like a bit of a shame. We never, mm-hmm. because she became more and more cartoonish, we never really connected with her yeah, at any point. It's true. Even, I mean, yeah, the, the worst people in some of the other films, we kind of like go, oh, well, yeah. you can see where they're coming from. Or they've got like a sister who's nice and then you kind of... Like, well, even with like Poco Rosso, which we did as the last yeah. one, all the villains we ended yeah. up liking at the yeah, end. Exactly. Whereas I, I think this is the first time I felt like, oh, that's... Is that just a genuinely bad person? I didn't think those existed in Jimmy. Yeah. And in the books, you know, you can see that she's been through some stuff. She's lost friends. Yeah. So that's why she's like that. But in yeah, I, I did feel like they left her floundering a little bit, holding her jam jar, her empty jam jar. Yeah, Less. I thought you I thought you were gonna say homily. You wish they added a bit more depth to her. No, I mean I do, bit... I do, but she was still good. And also, although I haven't watched any of the dubs, I'm tempted to watch the English one because apparently it's really good. Uh, Yeah, uh, that's the one they recommend, the English one. And I mean, Tiny Tom Holland, but also, uh, what's her name? There's a few other good ones. Sarosi Ronan is uh, Arietti. She's amazing. And actually, she kind of looks like Arietti. She does. (laughs) So in my head, I'm like, she would be perfect. So I'm quite tempted to watch uh, that. Uh, I can't remember who plays Homily in the British one. But I know in the American one, it's Amy Poehler who plays Homily. I'm not sure Um, I actually see that. And weirdly, this is very odd, Will Arnett plays Pod. No, I I do not see that. That is an awful casting choice. (laughs) He's not meant to be a funny, I mean, funny character. Like, he has five lines. What is Will Arnett going to do with that? You know, I kind of, I'm in my head. I'm thinking, okay, so he did BoJack Horseman, who was not funny, ha ha funny, funny like deadpan funny. So maybe, but it's still a weird choice. Because, but he's not like he's not even deadpan funny in the movie. No. Also, (laughs) there's an interesting thing that I saw where Homily, the animation of Homily in the film. Um, is very similar to the actress who played someone someone in Bride of Frankenstein, like the old, old version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah and there's a, a video of her doing a certain bit where she's screaming, where she's almost exactly like Homily. So I do wonder if there was inspiration there. She looks very similar to her as well. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm sure they're using like video <laughs> references to... But yeah, I, I think... Definitely the British dub sounds like it might be worth a watch. And I never want to watch dub stuff, but yeah. it's a strong cast, I think. Mm-hmm. I might. I might. I'm, I probably won't. <laughs> no, I mean, we have other films to watch. We do. We do. But also I wonder if, because show was so deadpan in the Japanese one, I wonder if Tom Holland gives him a little bit more life. Yeah, so, that's true. It's a little more. And you can't change the animation, can you? So, well, you know. somehow Disney manages to figure out how to do it. <laughs> God, so they're awful. <laughs> it just well, like gives me further like I'm not a fan of Disney. No. <laughs> I know, like it's a co- I have a complicated relationship with them. Yes, I think I we find. Do. But, like all in all, I would say that from like book to screen, this was damn good. Either yeah, side it was. was really good. It, they're yes. both utterly delightful, and I definitely would watch it again. 
And it's nice because it's an it's a Studio Ghibli one, but non Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah, I mean he's involved, but you know he's always involved to a certain degree. But yeah, and and the other person, so Keiko Niwa, who wrote this, adapted the script. Yeah, yeah. She also did the Wizard of Earthsea, <laughs> which was not our favorite. So I feel like she's redeemed herself slightly. Thank she you. Has. Well exactly. done. She did do. She what? did up, up on Poppy Hill as well. So she's done yeah. some good ones. Yeah, but it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder with Ursi because this Goro uh, seems so intensely involved. How much she was working on it versus like the Miyaza- this one, the borrowers. He gave like a rough draft, and she kind of yeah. just did what she want with yeah. wanted with it. So with that one, it was more on her to write the borrowers versus Ursi. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. yeah. Yes. I guess, yeah, he was he was definitely more involved with this one. I mean, if he's been thinking about it for forty years, he was definitely more involved with this one. No, he wasn't. He was less involved. Whereas, like with Tales of Ursi, oh. go. I I meant in the comparison of like script writing that Goro yeah. was more invested in Ursi oh. in the process of it. Whereas with Miyazaki and the Borrowers. Yeah. He only did like a really casual script and then kind of left them oh, to do okay. the rest of it right. is what I read. So like yeah. they, she she did the main script writing, whereas he just gave a rough outline. It's funny as well, because it feels more like a Ghibli film than Earthsea does. Really and does. also another note that I read that the sort of producer was talking about, because obviously with Miyazaki, his process is he doesn't know the ending. So yeah. when he's doing a lot of films, but he was the producer was saying like we do not recommend that to people because it's not like the most sane way to direct a movie. Yeah. So with this one, it was it did have like they made a structured framework and how they were doing the okay. film. Well, that makes sense as well because you know it is they they didn't go too far from the book anyway. Yeah, so they had their framework there. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, the ending is different, obviously. Like, yeah. I suppose they they could have just left it, like, yeah. as is, like, them escaping, and that would have been the book. And then they added that ending with them having the little scene together, so. Yeah, yeah. And, I, yeah, it, it tied it up nicely. And, like you say, it meant that they didn't have to do, they didn't leave the door open for anything else. Yeah. It was just, like, neat bow on the top, and then, voila, here is your film. Well, I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> sort of ta- talked out. I think we've talked out the book we and the have. movie. We have. We've talked out longer than the movies. <laughs> well, it was a good kind of film. We're allowed. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, thank you, Lauren. That was really good as yeah. usual. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And hopefully, we'll, you know, you'll hear us next time. <laughs> next book. Hooray. Yeah.